World's Finest Podcast, Episode 14. I am James Doe, and with me as always is Michael Sims. Hello, how are you, James? I'm, I'm all right, except for the fact that I just paid money to see Saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, when Jen and I, we did see it, we did see it. I, uh, when we were walking up to the theater, I looked over at her, and I'm like, you know I'm not paying for my ticket, right? And she's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I know, I know. Because if there's anybody out there who listens to World's Finest Podcast but doesn't listen to my other podcast, Earth2.net, the show, um, this, this is for you. I don't like Saw. I saw the first one, I hated it. I saw the second one, I hated it more. I saw yeah. the third one, my girlfriend passed out during it. So I hate that one the most. And so there was no way in hell I was going to pay for this one. So Jenny gleefully paid for it because she wanted to see it. She wanted to overcome her demons of having passed out during the last one, you know? Um, so hey, even though I hated four, at least I didn't pay for it. So I can't complain there, right? I guess not, but I I damn well can. Yes, you can. Oh, oh my God, I hate this series, and I don't know why I subject myself to this shit. Yeah. But, uh, oh, well, I guess more more material for my columns. So. Yeah, exactly. Once once you're done with your uh, tranquil tirades, or if you're going to do a joint column with uh, DW, as we were speaking about off the air, we'll let listeners of this show know where they can find it this way. uh they can read your thoughts about this glorious, glorious movie franchise. Oh, yes. Note the sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> anyways, anyways, anything else up with you? Oh, uh, not much, but, uh, you know, this is really kind of a landmark for us on the on the World's Finest Podcast, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? No, it is. It is. You know, we, uh, we're covering our first official, you know, movie in the DCAU, so we're really, really pleased about that. Sure. Now, why don't you explain why we're covering Mask of the Phantasm and why we're not continuing on with Batman the Animated Series, at least in this episode? Because, of course, after this episode, you know, we're moving back to Batman the Animated Series. But explain why we're just doing Mask of the Phantasm here, why we're interrupting the TV show for this movie. Well, as we've discussed and said several times on the on our podcast here, we are doing our we're doing each podcast production wise, that kind of timeline. And Production-wise, Mask of the Phantasm falls right between Seasons 1 and Seasons 2 of Batman the Animated Series. Mm -hmm. So we're done with Season 1, and production-wise, here comes Mask of the Phantasm. That's really why we're covering it. So we wanted to keep that, you know, keep the trend going. That's Um, it. That's really it. That's really it. (laughs) There's no other way to put it. Yeah, because we've received a lot of emails about this. We've received, uh, some people have posted some thoughts at the forums, you know, asking, oh, why are you doing this? Uh, not that they didn't want us to cover Mask of the Phantasm. They were just curious as to why now. But anyways, uh, what about Wiki? We haven't spoken about the controversy over the episodes. I know. And, what, I, and I know you have some so- thoughts about this. Right. This is partially my fault because I meant to I meant to bring this up on our last episode. Uh, and I think the one before that, too. And the one before that. <laughs> but, you know, you know me. My short-term memory just fails me <laughs> so so many times. But I wanted to uh, 
just say thank you to all the guys out there, mm. all, you know, all the people that are uh, supporting the cause of getting those episode um, summaries put back up on Wiki. Mm. And a lot, there have been a lot of new uh, responses since we last talked about this. Mm. So, you know, kudos to you guys. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, there's been some people, like Wiki editors, popping in saying, oh, this is why they were deleted, this is why they'll stay deleted. But again, it's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. It's like, if, you know, I, I say this all the time, and I'm sorry that I'm repeating myself, but Wiki should be the place to go to look up anything you want. Anything at all. And if I can't go there to look up little trivia or factoids about Batman the Animated Series, then there's something seriously wrong with Wiki. Why is it that I can go there and look up factoids about Anne of Green Gables or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or iPods or the, the, the comic book Sin City or, you know, Sprint cell phones, but I can't do it for Batman the Animated Series and all of the DCAU? Why is that? It, yeah, it, it's they, culturally relevant. It absolutely is. It's the only cartoon with a universe. All yeah, other well, cartoons exist in their own little pockets. They might cross over with other cartoons from time to time, but this is completely different. This is a full, living, breathing universe, and now it's, poof, gone, because one or two people felt it didn't fit the wiki guidelines. That's just, it's malarkey. Yeah, and that's the thing about Wikipedia. Wikipedia is what differentiates it from... Encyclopedia Britannica and all and any other normal encyclopedia is pop culture. Mm-hmm. It's supposed you're supposed to look up information on pop culture there, along with everything else, science, history, uh, you know, gr- you know, everything else in that you would find in a normal encyclopedia, plus pop culture. And what is Batman the Animated Series? What is the DCAU? It's pop culture. You should be able to look up episode summaries of these shows. It makes no sense to, to exclude them. You know, it doesn't affect this show. It's just the fact that it should be there. That information should be readily available for anybody to read. Again, if, if I can look up the history of a fri- of the frickin' aglet, you know, you know, the little plastic tips at the end of your shoelaces, or I can look up the history of twist ties that seal up loaves of bread, or I can look up the history of the sewing machine, why can't I look up little factoids about a cartoon? I don't understand what's going on. You know, we're just we're gonna keep we're gonna keep harping on it because it needs to be harped upon. Oh, uh, but that said, do you wanna move into some emails? Yeah. Okay, do you wanna do you wanna read these off? Sure. Uh, Let's see. Our first email today is from Monica Munoz. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've heard from her before. Remember, she didn't like Talia Al Ghul. She kept calling her the bitch. Right. I think she does here again, doesn't she? (laughs) Yes, she she calls her that uh, in her fifth bullet point here. Okay. Anyway, she writes, Hi, guys. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you. Uh, I just want to share some thoughts. Um, Hardak is just a brainiac wannabe. (laughs) What say you, Mike? She's got a point. I mean, yeah. a, a, you know, a computerized villain that just kind of wants to take over the world. Mm, it is kind of yeah. brainiac light, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. You know. Um, let's see. Number two, which legion is this anyway? I think she's uh, she's confused about some about the legion of uh, superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what she says. I mean, I mean, in the episode "New Kids in Town" of Superman. That's one legion. In the JLU, there's another legion. And in the cartoon Legion of Superheroes, that's obviously another one. Mm-hmm. I'm just 
as confused as in the comics. Mm-hmm. So do you right. want to help her out there? Right, because what she's saying there at the end is, I'm just as confused as in the comics, is the Legion of Superheroes in the comic books have been rebooted so many times. There are literally, I want to say like four or five versions of the Legion floating out there. The Legion that is... Okay, you know how uh, Desmond and I, we do that monthly look at Countdown? Mm-hmm. There's a character that is in the Countdown books called the Karate Kid, and he's running around the DC Universe. But the problem is, is that Karate Kid is from the Legion of Superheroes from a different alternate future. But the Legion of Superheroes comic book that's being published by DC right now is a different Legion than the one that the Karate Kid is from. Do you see how that's confusing? <laughs> So they're yeah. publishing a Legion superhero, a Legion of Superheroes comic book, but it's not related to the Karate Kid that's running around the universe, the main DC universe, and it's been rebooted, rebooted a couple other times. So there's so many Legions out there; it's it's a it's a it's a clusterfuck trying to keep it straight. Um, but anyways, as it relates to the cartoons, I believe that the Legion we see in uh, the episode of Superman is supposed to be the same one that we saw in the JLU. I think they're supposed to be the same, just at different points in time. But of course, the Legion of Superheroes in the that's in their own cartoon that again is a completely separate thing. I think we spoke about that last uh, episode. Moving on, her number, her third bullet point here is the Bat Embargo. Mm. In the official DC Comics podcast, she wants us to mention this issue uh, and explain uh, the the forbidding of uses of uh, usage of certain characters in the DCAU. Mm-hmm. And I think we when we talked about this on the last one, didn't we? About how uh, Warner Brothers was at war with itself. Pretty much so. It was like, oh, we're going to be doing this show called The Batman, so you can't be using this character. And over in Batman Begins, we're going to be using Rachel Ghoul, so you can't use him in the Justice League. And, oh, there's going to be the Superman movie, so you can't use this. And it's basically them just, yeah, warring with themselves, as ridiculous as that is. Yeah, and the Bat Embargo is really the best way it can be put because it was all uh, it affected all Batman villains. We didn't get any Batman villains in the final season of uh, Justice League. Yeah, and it was it's really a damn shame, as I as I will say until the end of time. And let's see, moving on, number four, Veronica Vreeland. For me, Ronnie is Bruce Wayne, the Playboy best friend, and he's capable of forgiving her. He doesn't expect much of her. He just understands that she's a brat. Dr. James? No. I mean, I can understand, kind of, because Bruce Wayne has to keep the facade going, the Bruce Wayne facade going, but I'm sorry. That is one of the, that moment where Veronica Vreeland shows up and Bruce is joking around and laughing and conversing with her just pisses me off on a level that can't be accurately explained. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm, go, go ahead. Okay, sorry. Over at the <laughs> forums the other day, I, I kind of addressed this. I don't, uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I'm going to try to paraphrase myself. And it's, it's, it's this. What we have to remember is that the penguin robs from the rich. He doesn't, you know, rob liquor stores. He doesn't steal from the guys on the corner dealing three-card Monty. He robs from the rich. So the fact that Veronica Vreeland gave him a new reason to hate the rich and to steal from them, you know, that means that this whole community that's embracing her and cheering her as she's come back should be turning their backs to her because she gave him a reason to rob them again. 
Yeah, he they should gone. all hate her. Yeah, he was gone. All their riches were safe, at least from him. Of course, there's Catwoman out there rotting from them, you know. But mm-hmm. they were safe from the Penguin, and she totally screwed that up. And now they have to guard their riches even more because of her. But they're all like, yay, Ronnie's back. No, it doesn't make sense. Everybody should be shunning her, not just Bruce Wayne. Exactly. And... uh especially with how stupid it was. It was like she was coming back from this trip to South America and they were welcoming her home for mm-hmm. some reason. Yeah. It was just, it was just, uh, just blithering stupidity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and number five, uh, Mask of the Phantasm. Hey, <laughs> Batman of the DCAU begins. I love this movie. I always feel bad for Bruce having to give up the possible love of his life, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but why not Chastity? That way, he would have tr- he would have tr- he would uh, he would have troubles with Selena or Talia the bitch Al Ghul. <laughs> Once again, thank you for your podcast. Don't mind my English. That's all right. We understand. Um, there are problems with the downloads on iTunes, and keep up the good work, Monica. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what she was talking about there when she says that there were problems with the downloads on iTunes. So. Um, if anybody else was having trouble uh, downloading recent episodes of the show, uh, you know, write in. Of course, our email address is feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And let me know if there was a technical issue. Um, hopefully it's corrected itself by now, but maybe it was a problem with the RSS feed, which means it was, you know, something I did wrong. But I'd, I'd like to know if it was just something on her end or if it was something on my end is what it boils down to. So, um, but anyways, what about this uh, idea of Bruce being chased? Um, I'm not sh- see. That's the thing. I'm not sure if she's asking. Um, do we prefer that he would? You know, we think of him as like a, a virgin who swears off s- sex, or I'm I'm kind of confused as to the wording. I, sorry, sorry, Monica. I'm not, I'm just trying to understand the uh, the statement or if the question. Right. I, I think what she's saying is that. Why doesn't he just give up sex altogether? Because he lost his true love. His true love is gone. So why not just swear off sex altogether so this way he wouldn't have to worry about falling in love with Catwoman and not being able to bring her in or falling in love with Talia and having mixed emotions about stopping her or Raish's plan. This way both his feet are firmly planted in the crime-fighting world, and he doesn't have one in crime-fighting and the other one mixed up with women. Well, I think Batman slash Bruce does a good job of that as as pertains to Catwoman. He He's pretty cold towards her, at least in the at least in Batman the Animated Series. He's very, very cold towards her for the most part. Right, but it, I think what she's saying is, is that he he still gets mixed up with women. He still gets mm-hmm. mixed up with Selena. He does care about her. He very much loves Talia, you know, and that puts his agenda at odds with his emotions. So I think she's saying, basically, why doesn't he redouble his efforts and just say, you know what, forget my emotions totally. I'm just going to be a crime fighter. I think that's what she's saying. Yeah, that's pro- you're probably right. And, and when it comes to that, you know, it makes sense that he would be that way, but at the same time, if he does that, he loses a part of his humanity. And we've seen that Batman time and time again in the comics. Not so much in the cartoon, but in the comics, anytime Batman slash Bruce pushes away those around him, that being Dick Grayson, Tim, 
Barbara, Alfred, he just goes deeper and deeper into the abyss, and then he has to pull himself out, and his family is there to support him. So he needs to have some loved ones in his life, be it, again, this the Bat family, or a woman, or someone. He needs, he can't let go of his emotions fully, is what it comes down to, and if it is going to be a woman that's in his life, well, sex is a big part of that, so he can't exactly be chased. It's also part of the the uh, billionaire playboy facade, too. Yeah. You, you have to have like the women out there bragging about having sex with Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah that's now, true. Of course, but they won't say that in the cartoon, but, but you know, it's, more so in the comics. Right, but it, it's it's that's a big part of it, too. But the difference there is he's just having sex with those women. He's not falling in love with them. Right. Where he does care about, again, does care about Selena, does care about Talia, did care about, um, shit, I, I, I just lost her name the, <laughs> from Mask of the Phantasm. Um. Andrea. Andrea, yeah, sorry. Whoa, I can't believe I totally forgot that. Um, <laughs> it's all right. That doesn't Brain bode farts. well for this episode. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so he, he loves them, but when it comes to the Playboy image, he's just sleeping around just because he has to. Mm-hmm. So that's what it comes down to. So uh, th- do you want to read the next email? Sure. Uh, this next one is from Stuart. Uh, he says, okay, I want you to do Teen Titans, and I can even slightly buy some theories that it's in continuity, but that static shock line I'd prefer to ignore because it implies that the Tim Drake Robin of uh, the new Batman Adventures is the Robin of the Titans, whereas it's already been established in Teen Titans that the Robin is simply Robin and no more. And if he doesn't have an identity, it's most likely Dick Grayson due to the loads of hints given by the show. The Nose Yard, Cassid, Starfire Relationship, Haunted Illusions with the Candle Oath, Parents' Death, Nightwing, etc. Now, that's that's the biggest problem with Teen Titans, is if it's in continuity, where does it fall into continuity? Because mm-hmm. the two prevailing theories are, one, it happens after um, the flashback events in Old Wounds, where Dick punches out Batman on the roof. Okay, that's one theory. But that doesn't work because that Dick Grayson is in his 20s, and this group is called the Teen Titans. See how that doesn't work. But in the episode Go, fifth season, which shows you the origin of the Titans, how they came together, Robin says something to a crook that implies that he and Batman have had a falling out. So that sort of ties it to the events of Old Wounds, okay? But it just, age-wise, it just doesn't work out. The other theory is that it takes place before Batman the Animated Series, so that would mean Dick is still in high school, he's a young teen, having these adventures on the side, you know, while Batman while, is still in yeah. Gotham doing his thing. But the problem with that is, and someone pointed this out elsewhere, I don't remember who it was, so pardon me if I'm, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I'm not giving them credit, I just can't remember who it was. That would mean that Robin was having adventures with aliens and cyborgs and mutant boys and a witch before Batman ever met Superman to yeah. see how so that is the biggest problem is when did this happen because yeah. it I is wish Dick there was Grayson a answer right because it absolutely is Dick Grayson they never say Dick Grayson but the clues are there I mean the biggest one being Nazir Kassid or whatever the hell it is which of course is Dick Grayson backwards mm-hmm. um and the fact that he's Nightwing in the future right that that does it too um so I, I don't know. It's it's in continuity for us, but where it falls in the continuity, I honestly don't know. If there's anybody out there, anybody at all, that has a better idea of where this fits in, write in and let us know. 
Absolutely. And we will share your view on the show. Right, because I still think, you know, I used to, let me start over again. I used to think that this did happen during, you know, after the Old Wounds flashbacks, okay? Mm-hmm. But that just simply isn't the case. It has to happen either, no, it just simply, yeah, there's no either. It simply has to happen before Batman the Animated Series because of the ages. And because we see Kid Flash... And that's Wally. It's never said it's Wally, but it's voiced by Michael Rosenbaum, who would then, you know, and of course, Kid Flash would grow up to be the Flash, who in the Justice League is voiced by Michael Rosenbaum. Rosenbaum. So, for that, you know, he, for him to have been, there's no way he could have been a teenager during, after, you know, if, if Robin graduated college and then knocked out Batman and that whole old wounds thing happened. Flash couldn't have been a kid then, because then it's only like a year or two later when the whole Justice League thing happens, you know? Yeah. And he's grown up too much. There's no way that works out. Same thing with Speedy. He shows up in Teen Titans, and again, in one episode of the Justice League. So it has to predate Batman the Animated Series. But again, anybody with a better better theory, write in, let us know. We would love to hear it. Yeah. Okay, who's next? Uh, next is Nicholas. You want to do this one? Uh, no, you can handle it. <laughs> All, right. All right. Mike, I'm doing well on my podcast, Blazing Geeks. I made my first coverage. Uh, my brother and I got a chance to interview Batman writer and one of the creators of Arkham Asylum in the Batman Mythos, Jack C. Harris, at a local, con- uh, excuse me, a local convention. Very cool. Very cool. And let me tell you, it was a lot of fun. It was like talking to another fan, but one who's in the industry. And he gives us a link. And I'll uh, post that in the episode uh, feedback thread of this show. Yes, because it, it's way too long to read, guys. Just trust me on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he says on episode thirteen of World's Finest Podcast about the lawsuit, James talks about Time Warner claiming if you have any Batman villains in jail, you it's going to hurt the Batman series. That, and he says that stupid philosophy also applies to the feature and television division of Warner Brothers on why Al Go and. Miles Millar will never have a young Bruce Wayne guest star on Smallville. It kills me, and it kills us, too. Yep. Um, as the episode reviews go, I pretty much agree with most of your opinions. The first two episodes are average at best and had its moments, and the last one is pretty good. In his Silicon Soul, you say, why does everything explode in, the form of inter- in every form of entertainment, that being the computer? Mm. And my answer is that realistically, it's not dramatic or action-wise dynamic, and things need to be tweaked. No, no, I, I understand that. I'm just saying it's a little irksome that in the, you know, in fiction, you punch a computer and it explodes in your face. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I understand they have to add some, you know, action or something that goes boom. I get that. But it just it just bothers me. It just bothers me. If I if I bang my fists on my keyboard, the computer isn't going to explode in my face. And I just I don't know. I don't know. I just I just I just I don't know. <laughs> no, because I, I know where they're coming from. They they need something dramatic to happen, so you can't have it happen but, realistically. But it's too far over the top, is what it is for me. Mm-hmm. So. Just like the uh, no yeah. with with the bat bot. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, he goes on saying in Fire from Olympus, I like that part where Maxi uh, Maxi Zeus yells out about being reborn again, his hand breaking the chess piece that looks like his girlfriend, and then it cuts to Cleo tied in front of the electro device, screaming underneath her gag, and I'm thinking this guy <laughs> is out of his mind. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um. Mike, you say they could have picked another villain 
and that the episode should have never existed. I don't agree with that statement, but dealing with a character like Zeus in the comics, I'm pretty sure it's known that he's one of the worst villains in the comics, which I said repeatedly in the overview of that episode. But I commend Bruce Timm and company for trying to bring the psychological angle to him, like most of the majority of Dark Knight rogues, but ultimately comes across as one-dimensional. And I kind of agree with that, that, you know, I, I, I commend Tim and them for trying to uh, bring the, the psychological angle to him, but, you know, he's just too weak a villain. Thank you for writing to us again, Nick. Okay, so then we got Chris next. Mm, let's see, Chris, yes, he Oh, says, you know what, hang on, let me let me go back to the, the Maxi Zeus thing real quick. Oh, sure. It, over at the uh, Earth 2.net forums, which is where a lot of people leave feedback for this World's Finest podcast, um, I was surprised to see several, I think it was several people, mentioning that they actually sort of liked the Maxi Zeus episode. It just kind of shocked me that some people were like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. And I was like, no, it, it really is. It's not Moon of the Wolf, <laughs> but it's still bad. So, yeah. I mean, to each their own. You know, I'm not knocking people for liking it. Um, well, you you graded it a six. So. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. And, but remember, when I when I did that, I kept saying that I don't know why I'm giving it a six. You know, yeah. that I, I I felt I was being very generous with that six. Um, I don't know. Like I said, to, to each their own. But it did surprise me that people were saying that they liked it. But it also surprised me that some people were claiming that Justice League and Justice League Unlimited were the worst part of the DCAU. Oh my god! What the that... hell are what kind of crack are you people smoking? I mean. <laughs> Again, to each I, their own, but that's that's some serious that's some oh, serious uh, fighting words. <laughs> yeah, I mean the storytelling in that series alone is just off the chart awesome. But well, we'll get to those way, way, way yeah, down the road. They'll, so. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll come eventually. Oh yes. <laughs> um, should we move on to the next? Yeah, one? this one's from Chris. Okay. Hey guys, just a quick note about Read My Lips, specifically about the diagnosis. James referred to schizophrenia and the ventriloquist. This isn't really schizophrenia. The word breaks down to split head, but it is not multiple personality disorder, or in this case, multiple personality disorder, Hollywood subtype. The split in schizophrenia is a break with reality, not splitting into different personalities. Of course, the other psychiatric issue is Arkham itself. Clearly, a lot of Batman's rogues have psychiatric diagnoses. But there's a difference between a psych diagnosis, which is a medical term, and insanity, which is a legal term. If you want to send someone on a wild goose chase, ask them what the medical definition of insanity is. There isn't one. Mm. It's purely a legal term. Oh, I actually never knew that. Yeah, I didn't either. A person who is insane is incapable of judging between right and wrong at the time of the offense. Some jurisdictions also look at whether the defendant was able to control his or her actions. Still, the presence of a psychiatric disorder is in no way proves that a person meets the legal criteria for insanity. If a person is judged insane, they are not guilty, although treatment can be compelled by a court. Which doesn't seem to be the case for a lot of the rogues. With most of them, it seems that they can tell the difference between right and wrong. They just don't care. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good point, yeah. actually. <laughs> um, this raises the question, were the rogues truly judged insane and subsequently not guilty, therefore no criminal records, or were they found guilty, albeit with diminished capacity due to their psychiatric diagnoses, with a sentence to be carried out at Arkham along with treatment? 
if it's the latter option, that would be appropriate. If they were truly found not guilty by reason of insanity, maybe lockup is right that the real problem in Gotham is the courts. Mm-hmm. I realize it's a bit off topic from ventriloquist's diagnosis, but if I didn't ramble, you guys would probably think that Hardak had replaced <laughs> me with a robot or something. <laughs> that didn't happen. I'm fine. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for that email, Chris. That's I'm, fun. I'm, thank you for uh, explaining that, too, because mm-hmm. uh, I... I didn't, I didn't know most of that, really. Um, and it's kind of funny because my my favorite video game ever, Xenogears, for the original PlayStation, the main character has a split personality that uh, is, oddly enough, named Id, and goes around, whenever he's unconscious, goes around and starts killing everybody. Okay. So that's really the, the where I've gotten the most of my information from on like multiple personality disorders, so <laughs> so thank you for explaining that to me. Um, um, but anyways, we should address what he says here about um, basically how they were sentenced, mm-hmm. and I think he's right. It's that um, they were sentenced. Uh, what did he say here? Or were they found guilty with sentence to be carried out at Arkham along with treatment? That is how the majority of the rogues are sentenced because you have to remember. People like the Penguin and Catwoman, they're not insane. They're just criminals. But when Mm -hmm. it comes to the Joker, Two-Face, Poison Ivy even, because, you know, if you think about it, she's not insane. She's really not. But if you go into into a court of law and say, hi, I can talk to plants, you're insane. They're going to say you're insane. So she she's a gray area. She gets to Arkham, but she should technically be in Blackgate. Um, and most of his other rogues, right, they go to Arkham. They're being treated. You know, they're talking to shrinks. They're getting medicine. Hopefully they'll get better. That's what's going on there. Um, so, yeah. But, again, thank you very much for that yeah. email. And you know what? Uh, not to, I shouldn't cut it off there, actually. I should uh, address this point about the character lockup. And uh, he's right. There's also a problem with the Gotham courts. There absolutely is, because, you know, the, these people, they, and maybe it's not the courts, but it's the whole system, because they keep sending these people to Arkham, and these people keep escaping, and they keep perpetrating these crimes, people keep dying because of them, then they get arrested, or get caught by Batman, then they go back in front of a judge, back to Arkham, getting the treatment again, escape again, wash, rinse, repeat. You see, it's a problem with the whole system, not just the courts, but lockup is ultimately right that maybe it takes someone a little more strong-willed than Batman, and maybe these dogs got to be put down. Yeah. I mean, there's that... Uh, that's, that's been one of my main, one of my main you know, gripes with the Batman uh, mythos slash universe. All, you know, over the years, it's just how does this shit keep happening? Yeah, and it goes, it goes, it falls pretty much squarely on the justice system of Gotham City. Yeah, I mean, you have to think. Okay, we understand why Batman doesn't kill. He doesn't want to take a life because you never know how that's going to affect someone. You know, right. he could kill the penguin, and for all we know, the penguin has a niece that loves him very dearly, and by taking the penguin away from this little girl, that little girl could grow up with a shattered life. Okay, so that's understandable. Become another psycho in Gotham City. Right, exactly. But there's some characters, and there's some times where you just have to go, you know what, fuck it. Like, the Joker. You know, by killing the Joker, how many lives would Batman save? Thousands. 
thousands upon thousands of lives would be saved if Batman would just kill him. You know, but that's, that's Batman's convictions not to do it. But I, I, I really wish DC would create their own version of, like, the Punisher and actually mm-hmm. let him kind of run through Batman's villains and start taking them out. They sort of started to try to do that with the Red Hood, who turned out to be mm-hmm. Jason Todd, the second Robin, who we all thought was dead and came back to life. And we won't even get to how he comes back into life. That's Tim Glancy's gimmick. <laughs> we'll let him do yeah. that. We'll let him post that at the yeah. at the forums. What do you call it? They, they started to do it with the Red Hood, but then they castrated that character. They completely took away his edge, and they moved him away from the Batman universe, and they've stuck him in this really shitty countdown book. But they do need someone that's going to be much more hard-edged than Batman and, you know, gives these uh, rogues what they deserve because some of them really do deserve to die. But if you do that, you also kind of ruin Batman because you're taking away the characters that have made him so special throughout the years, too, because Mm -hmm. a superhero is only as good as his rogues gallery. Okay, this is from our good friend from England, Ian Wilson. He says, Dear Sirs, slash Gentlemen, slash Mike and James... (laughs) I'm a first-time emailer, long-time listener. (laughs) My question is that when you sit down to reevaluate your scores, will that happen before you sit down to cover Superman in the animated series? And if so, might you do a rundown of your top ten or bottom five episodes? I remember that fateful episode of WFP where all the bottom five episodes seem to be lumped together. Oh, I remember (laughs) Uh, that one, too. Oh, yeah, don't we all? (laughs) I just think it'd be a cool thing to do to sign off on a particular series before you move on to a different part of the DCAU. He then says, keep up the great work. Uh, foreign regards, Ian. So <laughs> I think uh, I, I what he says here is the way I had always planned it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Right. I really want to do that, where we have just, uh, you know, after we're done with a particular series, we just have an episode where we go back and reflect on everything that we, we went over in that mm-hmm. series. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to do, you know, a top ten, top five, you know, bottom ten, bottom five type thing, but we'll definitely go back uh, after we're done with Batman the Animated Series and look at some of our scores and say, okay, maybe this one should be brought down a point or two and this one up a point or two and just kind of generally shoot the shit about the series and kind of give it our final thoughts before we move on to the next.
Well, this marks a special occasion for us uh, with World's Finest Podcast. This is the first uh, full-length movie we have reviewed for the DCAU. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a damn good one, too. Oh, so absolutely, yeah. I'm glad to be... I'm glad that this is our first one that we're doing. It starts it off on a good note with the first of actually what will be very many movie reviews. Um, yeah, because what else? What else are we gonna do? We have the Mister Freeze Sub Zero thing. Yeah, we have Sub Zero. We have Return of the Joker. We have the Mystery of the Batwoman. Mm-hmm. Um, and though not technically movies, uh, the first episode of the Superman series is a three-parter. Mm-hmm. So we'll treat that like a movie. Uh, World's Finest was a three-parter. We'll treat that like a movie. Um, the Justice League's first three episodes were a three-parter. Mm-hmm. Star-Crossed. Yeah. Was that a two-parter or a three-parter, though? No, that, uh, Star-Crossed was three parts. Okay, yeah, so that'll be treated like a movie. So, though, like I said, technically not movies. There's going to be a lot of episodes coming up, you know, in the future that mm-hmm. are definitely, you know, just going to take the, the whole episode like this is here. Hell, you know, assuming we do the Teen Titans, there's uh, the one... Wasn't there? Wasn't the? Is it a three-parter? Trouble with, in Tokyo. Oh, there's Trouble in Tokyo. I forgot about that. But wasn't there a three-parter involving Raven and Trigon? Yes. Which I don't want to get into called, it now. But it's called the end, and it's right. A yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal three episodes. Yeah, I that'll probably be besides Trouble in Tokyo, the only one, uh, the only Teen Titans episode that we dedicate an entire episode of World's Finest Podcast to. But yeah, so so yeah, this is this is as you said, uh, the first movie we're going to do though. So though, I guess we did treat. Uh, the Demon's Quest, like a movie. So. We did. But this is the yeah. first official movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though we pined for it, for Demon's Quest to be the first movie, this is not a bad place to start no. at all. No, not at all. Um, Batman Mask of the Phantasm is, as I said, the first feature-length movie in the DCAU. And what we get here is, it's a dual story. One is told in the present, where Batman is being framed for murders committed by a mysterious new vigilante, and one, another told through flashbacks to Bruce Wayne's early years as a crime fighter, before he officially became Batman, and when he was just madly in love with one Andrea Beaumont. Now, in the present, uh, you know, a person more or less dressed up as the Grim Reaper is murdering high-profile mob figures, and the public, the police, and the mobsters themselves think it's Batman. So then, when Bruce's most serious love interest, Andrea Beaumont, reappears in Gotham after a decade of being, of, you know, just disappearing. He, you know, harkens back to why he became Batman. So his, you know, his really strained relationship with his dead parents comes back into play. Uh, we get to see what it was like for Bruce to make the ultimate choice, personal happiness or the mission. And... You know, back in the present, the Joker gets involved when, you know, when the major mob boss, uh, Sal Valestra, kind of entices him into the fray, and uh, Batman once again has to save the day at the cost of his personal happiness. So that's that's basically what the movie entails. It's one big dichotomy. So with something like this, I don't even know where to begin. I mean... Do we review this just, you know, start to finish, almost like Jen and I do our reviews on Earth at the show? Do we just bounce around with our random thoughts? You know what I'm saying? This is a big undertaking for us, and I, I mean, where do you want to begin with this? Well, let's start with the rating, for one thing. Uh, why was this movie rated PG? Because <laughs> I can't think of one. I can't think of one damn reason it should be rated PG. You think it should be PG-13? PG-13. Yeah. Um, 
I, I really don't know. It's I didn't know what it was rated going in. Uh, when you just said it was PG, that actually surprised me a little. Um, I just kind of assumed it was PG-13. I mean, well, my guess is it boils down to the lack of naughty language. Yeah, that's I mean, probably I th- it. I think we get my lord once, and that's barely a curse. So I, I think they were able to get away with the level of violence that they did, mostly because it was kept off screen or implied. Um, and I said mostly because there is some on-screen stuff. And because there really just wasn't cursing in this. Otherwise, I I think if we just got one damn, it would have been PG-13. I think that would have pushed it over the edge. Maybe. Because there was a lot of violence that they couldn't get away with on the show. Yeah. With blood. There's blood everywhere. Yeah, Batman bleeds several times throughout this. And he he just lays into the Joker Mm -hmm. near the end of the movie. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's... It just confused me how it how it could be rated PG. It's like the people who, uh, you know, watched the movie and were doing the official official rating just said, "Eh, that's cartoon. It was rated PG." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I think. But you never know. Well, this this goes back to our old discussion about you know are the censors even paying attention? Yeah, <laughs> I mean this harkens back to that. It's like, okay, first we don't have the FCC or whoever rates television shows paying attention, or censors television shows, I should say, paying attention. And now we don't have the MPAA paying attention for God's sake. Wait, MPAA? Yeah, yeah, them. They're not mm-hmm. even. I, you're probably right. They're just like, oh, cartoon, you know. Or, or or they simply said, you know, Bambi was a G, and you know, Bambi's mom got shot, so well, we'll give this a PG. <laughs> <laughs> You know, gun violence doesn't automatically mean PG-13. Oh, who cares if the movies were made 45 years apart? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, who cares if there wasn't a PG-13 back then? I don't even think there was a PG back then, but... Might not have been. Yeah, regardless, you know. Oh, man, but, you know, we'll start at the beginning here. Um, Right away, you can see that that they put a ridiculous amount of effort into this movie, as as well they should. They had three-dimensional opening credits. First time, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, later on when we get to um, the Justice League and maybe Batman Beyond, I don't remember, there's a lot of digital art being used. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, this is it surprised me because I should note that this is only the second time that I've seen this movie. I saw it years ago when it came out on video. Unfortunately, I didn't see it in the theater. And earlier today, when I watched it, when I was taking my notes in preparation for this show. So I've only seen it twice. So I didn't remember, like, I want to say, like, 75% of the stuff that was going on here. It's, it's been so long, and it all slipped my mind. And one of the things that definitely slipped my mind was the opening credit sequence, which is just straight-up uh, a digital rendition of Gotham City, of the skyline. Mm-hmm. And that was a nice treat, because I'm like, oh, the precedent was set when they got to Justice League. To, to use those kind of effects. That was very cool, I thought. And and furthermore, with the, the music, oh my God, oh, the music, yeah. this film is just amazing. It's mm-hmm. it's like you're singing in an opera house. Mm-hmm. And it really, I think it really added on to the, it, it added effect to the, to the film as a whole. It, you know, if it hadn't, if it hadn't been as just intense a score as it was, I think the, it would have, detracted from the movie. Yeah, um, the, the opening theme, just with the, the choir, just, just you know, singing whatever they were singing, it, it's just awesome. I mean, the music throughout 
is, yeah. is, is, is awesome. And if, if you guys haven't seen this movie or it's been a long time, the opening credit sequence is actually on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, and uh, I found it by accident uh, just a couple hours ago, as a matter of fact. Just search for something like Batman theme or the best Batman theme, and you'll pull it up pretty easily. It's like maybe a minute and a half long, um, and you could see the theme mixed with that opening credits. It's it's really cool. It's a really cool visual. I should actually say it's really cool cinema. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and fr- from the first scene, right away, you, you you can tell, even if you're watching it on DVD like uh, like I was, it's you can tell that the the uh, the sound effects are crisper, they're and they're louder, and you can hear guys' bones being crunched, <laughs> just like the when Batman lifts the table up and drops it on top of the that goon in the first scene. You can hear his bones crunching. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's brutal and it's great. Yeah. Uh, it's oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no problem. When when I watched that opening uh, fight sequence, the first thing that came to mind was, you know, I had to wonder what parents were thinking. They take their kids to go see a Batman animated movie, and they're probably remembering Batman from their youth, either the Adam West television show or Super Friends or seeing Batman Scooby-Doo. There's, you know, a very good chance that that was the last time they saw Batman. They probably never even saw an episode of Batman the Animated Series. So now their kids who have grown up on uh, Batman the Animated Series, um, or I shouldn't even say grown up on, but they've been watching it for about a year, year and a half at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. They, you know, the kids know that it's a darker Batman, but like I said, the parents don't. don't. So, you know, the parents take their kids to see this, and they're thinking it's going to be something light and friendly, and right in the beginning, we've got this big old fight. As you said, we've got Batman flipping a table on someone, and then he steps on the table yes. to knock a guy out. Instead of, you know, normally, because what was happening, you know, the guy's arm was out from underneath the table, and there was a gun that he was reaching for. Batman mm-hmm. would normally kick the gun out of the way, and that's what I was expecting. Instead, he stomps the table knocking the guy out, and he leaves the gun there because, well, the guy's knocked out. It's not going to do him any good at that point. And that even kind of shocked me a little. And so, yeah, I'm like, now, I was trying to imagine what my reaction would have been if I were a parent seeing in this in the theater Christmas Day, I believe, 1993. That's when it came out, Christmas Day, right? I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I would have been like, what the hell? Now, I'm not saying I would have taken my kid out. I know a lot of times I say things like this, and it might come off as me being prudish, and I really don't mean it to, to, to seem that way. It's just, I'm just trying to see it from a different point of view here. And I think you have to do that. You have to, you know, look at this from a parent's perspective. And, and... Well, well, I mean, look at what happens in the very next scene where they're in the parking garage, and Phantasm makes her appearance, I should say, there. And... And the first line she says is, uh, I can't remember the gangster's name, but so-and-so, your angel of death awaits. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder what a parent was thinking when after seeing those two scenes back-to-back to open the movie. Right, and then, of course, you know, there's, you know, the phantasm is trying to stop the car, trying to kill this guy, and the car ends up flying out of the parking garage and just slams into the side of another building. And now I'm watching this, 
again, I haven't seen it in years, and I'm thinking, oh, the guy's okay in typical Batman the Animated Series fashion. You know, someone falls 10,000 feet into the ocean and they live, you know? That's what I'm thinking. Well, uh, like, not too long after that, another one of the mobsters goes to that very guy's tombstone and pays respect to him. He died. Yeah, he died. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? what? I literally, that was my reaction. Like, oh, my God. Oh, Chucky Saul. Why did I not remember the guy's name? That's it, yeah. Um, I thought it was Saul something, but I wasn't going to say it because I I couldn't couldn't quite remember it. But like I said, I was even shocked that they had killed him. And then, of course, in that scene at the graveyard, the guy who's visiting Chucky gets squashed. By a... A giant... What has... It has to be at least a a 4,000-pound statue. Yeah, it's just pushed right on top of him, and he's goner. He is dead. There's no question about it. So, again, you're a parent. There's this violent opening scene, and then within the first maybe 10-ish minutes, maybe a little more than that, two people get killed. Straight up killed. Granted, there's no blood, you know, pooling on the ground. There's no limbs hanging out. You know, and they never the show car. the bodies. Right. They never show the bodies is what it boils down to. But you still know they're dead. I mean, one, the first guy, we see his tombstone. The second guy who just got squashed, his bodyguards are like, oh, boss, when they see the statue. Yeah, they're cringing. Yeah, I mean, you know he's, that's it. It's the end of the line for him. It's curtains, to use, you know, 1930s mob speak. Um so, again, I mean, if there's anybody out there, if we have any older listeners, you know, when I say older, I mean, let's see, if this came out in 93, let's say in their 40s. If we have any listeners in their 40s who saw this in the theater with children back then, you know, please write in and let us know what your reaction to these sequences were. Because um, I'm I'm very curious, and as am I. In case you don't know, our email address is feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com, and you know we'll gladly read it on the air. Or you know you can always go to uh, our forums, which is uh, forums.earth2.net, forums.earth-number2.net, and you can post it in the world's finest uh, podcast section there. Because you know, it's it's just. It's curiosity's sake right here. Yeah, pretty much so, because, I mean, if I'm being, I don't want to say disturbed by it, but if I'm noticing it and kind of pulling back, going, whoa, someone just died in a Batman cartoon, and they're actually mentioning he died. It's not ambiguous, like those police officers I always mention from on other wings. You know, they're clearly bringing up that these these guys died here, then I want to know how a parent would have reacted, because I know if I were a parent, I would be... Kind of like shocked, very shocked, as a matter of fact. So, well, and you know, after you know, after the first guy dies, after Chucky Saul is, you know, throws it and drives himself off the off of the parking garage, and the back cave, we get more detectiving from Bruce, and ridiculously long words that Alfred can't understand. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great that was a great scene there, mm. with with you know right. When they're discussing Batman on the TV, uh, the the uh, guy, um, the councilman Arthur Reeves, uh, and he's talking about what a nutcase Batman is, and he's he's a vigilante. He must be stopped. And Alfred just says, "Oh, such rot, sir! Are you the very model of sanity?" Oh, by the way, I pressed your tights and put away your exploding gas balls. 
truly, truly one of the most memorable, funny lines from the Batman animated series, I think. Yeah, and, and, cause, and Batman's reaction is priceless, because it's just, thank you, right? Or thanks, one of the two. Thank you, Alfred. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> It's just, I mean, that right there sums up their relationship. It shows you that Alfred doesn't approve of this, but he's going to do what he can to help Bruce, his, you know, basically adopted son. Mm-hmm. And it shows you that Bruce understands that what he's doing isn't the sanest thing in the world, but he's going to keep doing it nonetheless. And nothing yep. Alfred says is going to make him change his ways. So I really appreciate that. Well, and it, it leads me into my next point here about Alfred in this movie. He plays the sarcastic butler and the father figure, mm-hmm. both, very well. And that's pretty much an overall theme for this movie. As I said in the intro, it's, it's, the movie is all about dichotomy. Every character in this movie has two roles that they play, basically. Mm-hmm. Bat, you know, you got Batman and Bruce, you got Andrea as the phantasm, you got Alfred as the, the father figure and the, the sardonic butler. Everybody has, there has two sides to their story, and it's that's pretty much the overall theme for the movie. Yeah, and they and it's not too surprisingly very done very very well. Yeah, it is. I mean, the the, the voice acting is great. Um, the amount of emotion that everybody brings to these roles. I mean, you'd think that they were all voice actors all the time, and I mean, yeah, Kevin Conroy is. Um, uh, I can never. I, I always. Screw up his name, Alfred Zimblast. Uh, Ephraim Zimblast. Zimblast, yes. You know he's you know he's been doing this for a while now. We understand that, but you got someone like uh, Dana Delaney who is playing uh, Andrea. You know she's at this point later on she would go on to play Lois Lane, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Which I thought was humorous when I heard her voice. I'm like, wait, is this Lois Lane? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I wrote in my notes, "Ha, Lois Lane." That's exactly what I wrote, mm-hmm. and. You know, but she really hadn't done, you know, cartoons at that point. You know, but, she, you know, she's, you know, an actor, an actress. And I think it's, when she did Phantasm here, she was coming off her performance in Tombstone. Really? I think so. Oh, okay. But you, Which is my fa- maybe my favorite movie of all time, so very cool. I have to mention that. <laughs> but, but you see what I'm saying here. She's used to playing roles where she can use her body, facial expressions, little tics to get her emotion and her role across on the screen. Here she can't do this. It has to be all in her voice. And I thought she did a spot-on job. Um, Mark Hamill, as always, he's excellent. I mean, just... And there wasn't a single person that I felt mailed in their performance. And Abe Vigoda. Yeah. And oh I... My, he did a great job, mm-hmm. too. I, I love listening. Every time he spoke, I just... I stopped what I was doing and listened. Mm-hmm. That was Andrea's father, right? No, that was uh, uh, Sal Valestra. Oh, pardon me. The mobster. Do you know who played Sal's father then? Or Sal's uh, father, pardon me. Andrea's father. Andrea's father was, uh, God. Because I liked his voice too. I can't but you're right. I'm, I'm sorry. I, should, I got confused with Abe Lagoda. <laughs> oh, it was Stacy Keach. Okay. Because he did the voice of the Phantasm also. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, in that Vader ish way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it, as Joker says later, it's a little too theatrical, but hey, who am I to talk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah, God, the voice acting was just brilliant, wire to wire here. And I, I think what made the voice acting come across uh, even stronger is the fact that the animation never faltered throughout this whole thing. 
oftentimes when we discuss episodes from Batman the Animated Series, we're like, oh, the first act is good, and this one scene is good, but in the second act and part of the third, it was kind of, eh. Yeah. With this, the animation was crisp, I felt, from the opening credits to the closing credits. I didn't find a single glitch in the animation, and I think in some way that helped the voice acting, because I didn't see anything uh, in terms of lip-syncing. Maybe you did notice some things. I actually did, but it was just, it was. this is the only time I noticed any kind of, you know, subpar lip-syncing was at the very first scene with Arthur Reeves. His It was kind of sloppy on there, but that was really it. Okay. Other than that, other than that, was it was perfect. Right, so I think when you take the crisp animation with the near-perfect lip-syncing and, you know, add that to the um, the, the voice acting, it, it, it all comes together to make these, you know, colorful animated characters come to life. They're not just there on your TV screen. They could exist outside your window having these same discussions. And I, I appreciated that greatly. Well, uh, but getting back to humor, it, we get we get another uh, very humorous thing that there's no way they could have gotten away with it in the show. In the party, the party scene, which follows uh, Bruce, you know, inspecting the windshield glass from the previous scene. Uh, after Bruce gets the wine poured on his face by one of his many uh, women, he he walks off, and then Reeves shows up and. Gives him a handkerchief, and then after a very brief dialogue, he Bruce basically tells him to stick that handkerchief up his ass. <laughs> he doesn't say it in so many words, of course, but that's basically what he says. Yeah, because why does he get on Reeves' case? Is it it's it's beyond the Batman thing, isn't it? It's well, it's, it's because he Reeves makes fun of him about letting Andrea get away all those oh, years ago. That's right. Yeah, because he's dating her right now. Yeah, Ooh. and then he basically yeah, that's right. Bruce says something like, "Here's your handkerchief, and you know where you can stick it." Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. In the cartoon, they, they wouldn't even attempt that, but of course, this being a, a movie that did get a PG rating, they could, you know, get away with some language like that, we'll say. You mm-hmm. know, um, and we'll get into this later, but there's some things off screen, some implied violence that is just like, wow, you know they couldn't have got away with that in the cartoon. Among other things. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, we'll definitely get into those things as we uh, go along here. Now, you know, after that, if I remember correctly, we get uh, a flashback. Yes. And what I enjoyed about this flashback was we get to see young Bruce. I always love seeing young Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've long thought that if the WB Network or the CW or whatever they're calling themselves now wanted to... Uh, do Smallville justice, they should introduce a young Bruce Wayne. And I've always held firm that I think a young Bruce Wayne and a young Lex Luthor would get along famously. Now, what I, the reason I'd like to see them do that is not just for the fanboy moment, but so they, they could then spin that out into a TV series about a young Bruce Wayne globetrotting uh, sort of like the old Incredible Hulk television so- show with uh, Bill Bixby, always mm-hmm. going around, saving the day, but he wouldn't be just saving the day, he'd also be getting training. So you could introduce guys like Zatara and Rachel Ghoul and other people that he got his, his training from. 
Henri Ducard. Right. And yeah. all these guys. There are so, I mean, you could introduce Lady Shiva. You could introduce anybody that's a martial artist in the DCU. You could introduce anybody who has, uh, you know, you could introduce, uh, what's his name? David Kane, I think his name is, uh, the assassin. You could introduce, uh, uh, Death, uh, you know, Slade, Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could have all these people that wind up training Bruce, and of course, he'll have connections to later on when he actually becomes Batman. So, I, I would love to see that on Smallville and just on the CW network in general. And that's why I like seeing these moments here because this cartoon wasn't actually afraid to do this. You know, they, they flash back to Bruce's training in Japan. There's a whole episode, or two episodes, pardon, about that. There's the Zatanna episode. We get that about how he was an escape artist. Um, I'm trying to think if there were any more that flash back to his training. Well, there's uh, Yuro Sensei. All that stuff, you know, all the stuff in Japan. Well, that's what I just said with the, with, right. you know, the yeah, there's two episodes there. But I was trying to remember if there's anything else. But, oh, yeah, he had hinted at training with Zatara to be, I think it was Zatara, to become uh, a ventriloquist. Yeah. You know, so we didn't get to see that moment, but it was brought up. I like that stuff a lot, and I really appreciated it here where we see him in the yard training. He's, you know, he's got his gi on with his belt, and he's just throwing kicks, and he's he's just... He's pumped up. Right, and, I mean, he's got kind of the body that he'd have later on when he's Batman, but he's still got that young, dare I say, almost innocent Bruce Wayne face. And, I I don't know, I I just think it's cool to see that, that there was a point in time where Bruce Wayne was at a crossroads, and now we know that this was the moment where he would become the dark Batman, and his features would become much more stern, and they'd lose that softness that they have in these younger scenes. Mm-hmm. It just shows that over the course of ten years, his life really did change. I mean, of course, it changed drastically when he was eight years old, and he was in that alleyway with his parents, but here was the moment where it truly did change, because he has, you know, it, it could have went a different direction, and it didn't. And, and that's kind of sad. So I, I like this flashback for that, because we can still see that hint of innocence in him. It reminds me of, uh, there's a Punisher comic, a four-issue miniseries called Born, and it was uh, a Max, a Marvel Max comic, which means uh, it's uh, Adult. very mature, yeah. You know, violence, language, everything. And it's not the origin of the Punisher, it's the origin of Frank Castle. And it's, it's about his third tour in Vietnam, and, you know, it, it leads directly into, you know, him coming, you know, it ends with him coming home from Vietnam. And it, you know, you see his family there, and you know shortly thereafter, like a year or two after that, they're going to get slaughtered in Central Park, okay? But mm-hmm. if you read that series, you know, Frank Castle, he is a Marine, he is very hard edge in there, but from time to time there's these little hints of innocence that you can see on his face that, of course, are washed away when he's the big bad Punisher years later. You know, when he's a 50, 60-year-old man, and make no mistake about it, that's how old Frank Castle is. Marvel's gone on to acknowledge it, you know, shooting these people in the street and just, you know, running them red. You know, that's 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 long gone. So I liked it in Bourne, that, that innocence, and I, I like it here in Batman the Animated Series and Mask of the Phantasm. And the the music once again was just amazing in the tra- in the transition. It, it actually kind of reminded me of the music from Batman Returns, with the the penguin when he's thrown into the uh, the young Oswald Cobblepot when he's thrown into the the freezing cold lake. That's really what I think the music reminded me of there. 
and it was and I love that music. Danny Elfman is just something else. <laughs> it's so it's been yeah. so long since I've seen Batman Returns that I can't you know, agree with you here, so I'll have to take your, your word for it there. But I will agree with you when you say Danny Elfman's just the tits. Yes. It's, it, his music is just, if he's scoring something, I'll almost see it just for that. Yep. You know. Um, just one more thing about Bruce's young looks. In this movie in particular, I've never noticed it before, but in here, in Mask of the Phantasm, when he's younger... He really looks, at least to me, like Dick Grayson did in uh, in the flashbacks of, for Old Wounds. You know, thank you. Like thank when, you. When Dick's graduating, <laughs> I miss, I miss when he takes off his mask at the end, when all the shit goes down on the rooftop. You know, he and Bruce. You know, Dick's a little slimmer, but his face was almost identical. And I don't know if they when they redesigned all the characters later on for the Gotham Knights series if they looked back at that at this at this movie and they did it on purpose or if it's just a coincidence but i thought it was interesting to you know we'll, 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 i'll i'll leave it at that but you noticed it too you said yeah i did too yeah um you know and they they show bruce uh you know, going up against these muggers and these these burglars, uh, and I have to admit, I liked the way they pulled it off. I really did, and I I laughed when he just randomly flips onto the scene and tells the goons to get on the ground yeah. and spread their arms. <laughs> the 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 guy that follows the goons like, who's this clown? Just the whole thing was it really was funny because you th- you you feel for Bruce. You want him to succeed there, but he's just. You know, he's not going to strike fear into these guys just wearing a ski mask. Yeah, it reminded me a lot in tone and in the way Bruce was addressed of uh, Batman Year One. The first time Bruce goes out, you know, he doesn't, he succeeds, but it's a big clusterfuck. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me a lot of this. Or this reminded me a lot of that, pardon me. Um, And I'm sure they were paying homage to that. I mean... In year one, it's completely different. It takes place on a balcony. It's guys stealing TVs from apartments. It's not guys, you know, stealing from a warehouse as it is here. There's no, you know, dramatic scene with him dangling off the truck in year one. But I'm just saying thematically and the way Bruce looked, it was it was very similar. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, what I what I really enjoyed about that scene, besides the the paralleling to year one, which I think is like one of, if not the best Batman story ever. I, I've said it before, uh, I don't know if it was on here, on Earth, and at the show, but I actually think it's better than The Dark Knight Returns. But anyways, one of the things I liked about that is, as the truck's going along on the highway, and Bruce uh, is hanging off the door for dear life, they pass a squad car with Bullock, again, dressed in his patrolman uniform that we saw him in Robin's Wrecking. Mm-hmm. But his the guy that's driving the car is that unnamed squinty cop. You know who I'm talking about? There's always I think so, yeah. There's, uh, there's always in the background, there's an older cop. He's like 50, 60 years old, you know, on the verge of retirement, and his eyes are always squinting. His eyes are just these slits. And it was kind of cool seeing him driving that squad car because it shows that the 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 storyboard artists, the directors, the producers, that they want to add continuity to these episodes. They could have had that be anybody driving that squad car, anybody at all, but they threw a character in there that we've seen dozens of times. 
and we see him again when they flash forward, and now Bullock's the detective, and that guy's still just a beat officer. He's still hanging around in the background in a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a really cool little addition. They didn't forget it. Right, exactly. And not not at all. I mean, he was... They, they know who their characters are. I'm sure they even have a name for that guy, but I'm pretty sure it's never set on screen. Not here, not in Batman the Animated Series, but I'm sure they've got a backstory for him and everything. Because otherwise he wouldn't keep popping up. Yeah. You know, they would just animate new generic cops every single time. Oh, how about the uh, newspaper after the after that scene ends? W- what about it? D- did you catch it too? Radomsky to press. I'm innocent. Yeah, I thought that, that was. I think that was the only Easter egg I found in this. There might be more. I'm sure there are, but that was the only one that really stood out for me. Off the top of my head, yeah, I think it is, but we might think of some as we go along here. Yeah, I'm sure if I sat down, and watched it again, and really analyzed it, wasn't taking notes, just focusing on what was going on in the background. I might pick up on a few more, but that one, it's like right there. We see that, you know, there's the big headline, but the, here's the other, the, the, the smaller article on the lower right-hand side of the paper, I think it was. Yeah, it was, it was humorous. I wish I could, um, I wish I knew, that has to be an inside joke of some sort. I just wish I knew what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, what is he innocent of? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, while we're talking about, you know, Bruce's first attempt at vigilantism, the next morning. You know, his right hand is bandaged up. He's got a bandage on his head. Um, If you look at him, he looks a little older. He starts to look like the aged Batman that we know. Yeah, he's a lot more ripped. Yeah, it kind of fades away a little when Andrea comes. Because isn't that what happens? He stops, tries to stop the truck. We see him bandaged up, and then Andrea comes to the house, right? Yeah. Right, so, you know, when she comes, he softens up a little, but when he's Right when we first see him, he looks like a younger version of the stern Batman that we know. You could just see the aging process just starting there, and I have to believe that that was intentional on the producer's part. Yeah, I agree. And this in this scene is really where uh, you get to you get the uh, great chemistry between Dana Delaney and Kevin Conroy, mm-hmm. which would carry over into uh, World's Finest. Uh, a couple of years down the line. Uh, and I, I don't know, it was just a great little scene there. And then Alfred you know, stumbles upon them making out in the yard, and he's like, ooh, <laughs> just walks away. Yeah, and of course, there's a callback to that later on in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought that was really cool, because I, I like those. I like those little moments, you know, where yeah. a character repeats something. That's why I love um, Shaun of the Dead so much, because nearly every line that's said in the first half is repeated in the second half, but there's a different meaning to it. And if you're yeah. paying attention, you'll pick them up. But if you didn't pick them up, if you watch it a second or third time, then you really start to see how, how great that that style of writing is. And, you know, doing it here with Alfred, I thought, was was really neat. You know, but i got to say, Bruce is a hell of a fast mover. I mean, he meets this chick at a graveyard, and then the next time he sees her... She comes to his place, uninvited, mind you, and instantly they're making out on his lawn. <laughs> I mean, Bruce has got some mojo, some serious mojo. I don't know what's what, what's what's in his genes, but there's something that that dude. Oh, <laughs> fast over. <laughs> yeah, 
And I like how they start making out, too. He's he's doing his karate chopping. She throws him. He then trips her. He actually trips her. Scissor. He scissor kicks her. Yeah. And then, basically. And then next thing you know, he's on top of her, and, you know, they're basically doing it on the lawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a small part of me that almost wishes that when Alfred came back and was like, oh, my, that they didn't pan over to show them kissing. So it suddenly implied that they're already full on naked on the lawn. <laughs> That's just the pervert in me. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I and mean, because you, you could take it to mean that they're still just kissing, but you could also uh, say, you know, Bruce's trousers are around his ankles. You know, well, look, they've they made several uh, allusions to people having sex in this movie anyway. Mm-hmm. So what what's one more? <laughs> yeah, I mean, later on when Bruce and her reunite. Oh, they have sex. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They kiss on the bed. Alfred does his oh my thing again. And then next thing you know, it's the next morning. And she's wearing, uh, I don't know if it's her shirt or one of Bruce's. She's got no pants on. It's questionable if she has underwear on. And she's hanging out on the balcony. And Bruce comes out and they embrace. I mean, yeah, there was some loving going on. And Joker has sex with a robot, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll get to that later. Yeah, I, Just I don't in, know. In case you, uh, we, that's funny. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But speaking of Joker, uh, apparently we get some something of a uh, a backstory for him. Mm-hmm. Here. He's part of Valestra's gang. What do you uh, think uh, about that? Well, see, I didn't. I don't mind it so much because. They he never speaks. He never says a word. Yeah, he just when, they, whistles, when he's on screen. I think. Yeah. He whistles at the girl uh, at Andrea, doesn't he? Yeah, and he fl- and he flicks the cigarette at Bruce's car. Yeah. But yeah, that's all he ever does. He only whistles. That's the only time he makes any kind of noise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like. I kind of liked how they pulled that off. Uh, and they didn't say his name. Thank so. God. Yeah, there. That I really actually liked it. Yeah, when I was watching it the first time, I saw that guy. I noticed his nose. I mean, the Joker's got a very distinct nose. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, is that the Joker? Because I'm looking at him like, he's got the same general facial features and the nose and, yeah, the mouth and, yeah. So I wrote in my notes, is that the Joker? And then later on, when it's revealed that that is indeed the Joker, there's no question about it. I just went back in my notes and I just wrote the word, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I am vindicated. And I don't mind that they changed his origin from the killing joke. You know, of course, the killing joke, he's, you know, works at a chemical plant. He's a down-on-his-luck part-time comedian, and he's got a wife who's pregnant. I don't mind that they changed it. I have no problems that they gave him a completely different backstory. Because as the Joker tells the uh, readers in the killing joke, he prefers his past to be multiple choice. Mm -hmm. So... Maybe what we saw in The Killing Joke really isn't his origin. All we know for sure is that he and Batman had a fight. While the Joker was dressed up as someone called the Red Hood, he fell into some chemicals. Next thing you know, out pops the the bleach-skinned man that would become the Joker. That's all we know of his origin. We don't know a name. We don't know his his story beforehand, you know, for sure, for 100% certain. So the fact that they're giving us another peek into what his past could have been is fine by me, as long as you don't say his name. Yeah, and I think Joker was portrayed. This is you harp on this all the time, and rightfully so. That the, this is this is how the Joker should be portrayed: mm-hmm. a guy who strikes fear into the hearts of everybody he comes across, mm-hmm. and he even he scares the shit out of Sal Valestra, his former boss. Yeah. So it, you know that I was as soon as I saw 
you know, I, I watched this again because uh, I've seen this probably five or six times before. I, I went back and watched it, and I've forgotten almost everything about the movie, so I go back and watch it, and uh, I see Valestra just scared shitless at, at Joker, and calling him the Joker, I might add. He doesn't call him uh, a name he f- might have formerly gone by, right. like, in the mob or, you know, whatever whatever nickname he had in the mob, he doesn't call him that. He calls him flat out the Joker. Mm-hmm. So that was another cool little uh, thing there. Yeah, now, my only gripe with the Joker being there in the flashbacks is, okay, after Mask of the Phantasm, now Batman is going to know that Andrea and her father were tied to these mobsters, and the Joker was clearly tied to them, too. I mean, he, he finds that picture with the Joker, with the you know, pre-Joker Joker standing in the background. Mm-hmm. And he figures it out. He Remember, he draws the mouth on it. And he figures out that the Joker was once uh, a thug in a Gotham mob. So my problem with that is it would be nothing, nothing at all for Batman to be able to question any mobsters who are still alive as to who that is. He could take that picture to anybody. Anybody, any of the thugs he's put away in jail who might have been connected to these mobsters, because, you know, some of their some of their hit men, their made men, are still alive, still, you know, running jobs for other people or in jail or wherever, whatever they're doing. He could take that picture to them and be like, what's this guy's name? Once you got his name, you can try to figure out his history, what his deal is, and then you can figure out how you could potentially cure him. Because, of course, that's what Batman wants to do with all of his villains. He doesn't just want to punch him in the face and send him to Arkham. He wants to make sure they get proper medical treatment so they don't have to do this stuff anymore. So that their mental problems are washed away and they could try to live normal, sane lives. So that was the only gripe I had with it. Because now it's it's too easy for him to figure yeah. out who this guy is. And the fact that it doesn't come up again is just it's just like I said, a little irksome. I don't know if it's enough to take a point off the score for me, but it's enough for me to mention on the show, I think. What do you think about that? Oh, I, I agree now that you mentioned it. I didn't even think about that, but, um, yeah, I, what's to stop him from, from doing it? Right. I mean, I, I, see, I see where you're coming from. There. Like I said, you know, some people would try to argue that, oh, all those mob bosses are dead. That's right, all the mob bosses are dead, but not... All of their hitmen, you know, th- he, there's those guys are still alive somewhere. Like I said, in jail, in witness protection. Maybe they've given up the life. It doesn't matter. Some of those guys are somewhere, and they're going to know who that man with the big nose and smile are, or was, I should say. Pardon me. And like I said, once you can do that, you've got a name for the Joker. You've got a history for him, and it goes from there. Now, I'm not saying it should have been addressed in this movie, because this movie, if it would have gone into that, then it becomes more of a Joker movie than it already was. I'm just saying I wish they would have carried that thread over into the animated series. Well, now that you mention that, I mean, what's to stop the police from going to these guys and saying, who is this? Mm-hmm. And then they can have a a, na- a real name on the profile, not Jack Napier. Yeah, oh, God. I hate uh, that so much. But, but, yeah, I mean, the cops could do it, too. Mm-hmm. And they can figure out who the hell he is, and they can try to uh, get him medical attention. Right. So, now, yeah. speaking of the cops, my other kind of gripe with this is Gordon is barely in this. 
I mean, he's in, like, maybe one or two scenes. He's got a couple of lines. You know, he's constantly barking that Batman isn't the killer, that Batman wouldn't do this, and then he just disappears. And it feels a little empty because of that. It's I'm not saying Gordon should be in every episode of Batman the Animated Series, but in a movie, that character who's so iconic, who's so tied to the Batman mythos, definitely should have had a bigger role, I felt. That's true. Mm-hmm. Because he's supposed to be the guy on the other side that, of, of the law, you know... Uh, on the other side of the same part of the law that's, you know, backing Batman. Right. And, 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 and trying to convince everybody that, yeah, he is on our side. I mean, so. later on, we get that huge, climactic chasing between Batman and the police. It's like, I mean, they say there's like three or four precincts chasing him down in that one scene. Yep. Yet... We never get a scene of Gordon yelling at Reeves. At was Reeves a DA? Is that what he was supposed to be? Or was he was a councilman. Councilman, that's it. Okay. We never get Gordon yelling at him. We never get Gordon yelling at Bullock or any of the officers. And if we would have got that, I would have said, "Okay, there we go. That's cool." You know, we I get mean, to see Gordon only, being a badass. Uh, you know, yeah, the only two lines that he has really in the movie are when he's talking to the councilman Reeves, and he's saying, "He, he basically says in the first time." Batman does not kill. You go after him if you want. I'll have no part of it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves and is never seen again. Right. Yeah, I mean, like I said, just, just you know, uh, a 30 to 60 second scene of him calling Bullock and Reeves out on the carpet and just saying, you guys, this is how much property you destroyed. This is how much money you wasted. These are all the people you put in danger by recklessly going after someone who I told you does not kill. I told you this wasn't the guy, yet you went after him. And, you know, and you just get Gordon being a badass and taking charge of his police because it makes it look like Bullock is actually in charge of the police because he's obviously the one that led that raid against the Batman. And if he's not going to get in trouble for it, you know, if again, if he's not going to get called out on the carpet, i, I got to take a little issue with that. Well, Bullock at least should have gotten it. I'm not so sure about... Reeves because Reeves does I don't think Reeves answers to Gordon and besides we we pretty much assumed that Reeves was killed by the Joker. So. Oh yeah, but at that point I don't think Reeves had been attacked by the Joker. Oh, you're talking about just having him do that in the middle of the after the the construction site scene, right after that construction scene. Okay, you know there's I, was, I thought you meant like near the end of the movie. No, or no, 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 no. After that after that scene. You know, Gordon should have had both those men in his office. You know, Gordon could have even acknowledged that he can't, you know, do anything to Reeves because he doesn't fall, you know, under his jurisdiction or under his command or whatever. But then there definitely should have been a scene where he just lays in the bullock. And because there wasn't, I think it kind of neutered Commissioner Gordon in some fashion. Um, One of the other things I want to mention about the flashback sequences, going back. I think it's interesting that we learn that Bruce has only been doing this for about ten years. We finally get a firm thing. I mean, this whole thing with Andrea, when he met her, it's clearly said that that was ten years ago. So we know that he's, you know, this is his tenth year, so we can peg his age at 30-ish, young 30s, Mm -hmm. in the here and now. 
And um, I don't know, I, there's just something about that that I kind of like. And it also kind of lets you know that Robin's Reckoning, those flashback sequences in there, don't happen too long after this episode. If you think about it. Yeah, if you put it in the timeline. Yeah, Bruce is still very early on in in his Batmaning, we'll say. You know, Bullock is still, you know, just a, a young cop. He's not the detective yet. When you take those elements and you look at him here and you look at him in Robin's Reckoning, you have to assume that he got Robin in his second or third year, which falls in line with comic book continuity, actually. Mm-hmm. But, again, it's it's continuity, 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 and I love it so much. If we have Gordon just ripping into Reeves, then maybe the scene where the Joker jumps in and gasses him doesn't happen. Because Reeves finds out from Bullock that, I guess that's Bullock, uh, that the all those precincts failed to get Batman, and then he just slams the phone down, and at that point, Joker enters the room. So... That's true, but okay, then then just take Reeves out of that scene. And then just have Bullock, Bullock be the one getting just reamed by Gordon. Right. Uh, right maybe the and, the, and the guy that was shooting, the that shot the tank that exploded. Right. Have, have those two. Right, okay, there you go. Throw that guy into the mix, and you still get the same scene, but you gotta, you gotta show Commissioner Gordon having some control over these cops. Because if I'm, I'm telling you, if I'm seeing this for the first time, and, you know, it's, it's been, like, a long time since I've seen any sort of Batman-related uh, media. You know, and I know Commissioner... Like, let's say I used to watch... Okay, let me let me backtrack a little. Let's say I used to watch Batman the Animated Series. And in there, you get to see Gordon having, you know, a heavy... He is, he's, he's very hands-on when it comes to his officers. Okay? And then let's say, you know, today, I finally bought this DVD, and, you know, I'm... I'm watching this, and I see Gordon not reacting to something like that, I'm like thinking to myself, what the hell happened to Gordon? Yeah. Like, when did he become a pussy? Why isn't he calling his, co- his his cops out on this? Like I said, just a quick scene, just a real quick scene to show that the character is in control. Because then, we don't get anything else regarding Batman and the police. So you know something happened. Right? There's no more scenes between Batman and the police, are there? No. Right, so after that big, you know, attempt to grab Batman, to kill Batman at that, there should have been a scene that showed us why there was no more attempts on his life. Yeah, because otherwise it just seems like a plot hole where nothing nothing is explained. Right. Which it wasn't. I mean, we have to acknowledge that earlier on, Gordon says to Reeves and Bullock, if you're going to go after Batman, you're going to do it, but I'm not going to have any part in it. That's fine. We understand that's how Bullock was able to go kind of crazy with all those cops. But Gordon should have come back and still yelled and, you know... All the manpower you wasted and all the... Just everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he he should have come back and said that, you know, he could even said that he made a mistake in giving Bullock that much control. And and, and giving Bullock a, a, a longer leash. You know, there could have been some great mm-hmm. characterization there, all in the span of less than 60 seconds. Oh, yeah. And it wouldn't have hurt or slowed down the movie at all, I felt. Um, but anyways, getting back to that guy who was the one that caused the big explosion that essentially let Batman get away, is he the guy that Batman saved in On Leather Wings? Remember the SWAT uh, cop that he pulls out of the building and... He might be, and I was kind of thinking that he was the guy, one of the guys from uh, 
uh, God, what the hell is the name of that Riddler episode with the box where they all get scared and try to shoot and <laughs> aim their guns at the box? Yeah. He was there too. He, um, I, I can't, I can't comment on that, but I am 99.9% sure that that is the cop because his face is so distinct. It's, it's rounded. It's a little more cartoony. He's got kind of a bulbous nose, you know? A yeah. very, you know, cartoony type nose there. And I, I'm almost positive it's got to be that guy. And if I'm right, again, this goes back to what I said about the squinty-eyed cop. And instead of just using someone that was generic, they pulled from their archives, and they're bringing these background characters into the forefront. And, you know, for people like us who are fans of this and are going to see this multiple times and see the cartoons over and over, we're going to pick up on something like that and it adds a little extra to our enjoyment. But for people who, you know, they're seeing this for the first time or they're not as invested in it, it, you know, it's that little bit of enjoyment isn't there for them, but it doesn't hinder their enjoyment either. And yeah, I, because they just see it as just another random nameless cop. Right, and that's fine. That's fine. They can see it that way. But like I said, for us... We can go, hey, that's that guy from this episode. And there's <laughs> yeah. the squinty cop, and there's this guy, and there's that guy. So that was kind of neat. But talking about using characters, you know, that were in the background, I kind of take a little issue with this being Reeves' first appearance. I mean, they establish that first and only appearance, I should say. They establish that he's been in Gotham for ten years because he was Andrea's father's assistant, basically. Yeah. So... I mean, you know, I don't, I don't mind. I mean, I understand why they retcon someone in, but at the same time, I wish they would have been building towards this. I mean, they they were working on this movie for a long time, for God's sakes. Oh yeah. So they, I really wish they would have added him into a couple of episodes. Not even major roles. No, either. no, no. He's just hanging around in the background. We see yeah. him as, you know, he. We see him on TV as Councilman Reeves. And then when we get to the movie, we that have watched the cartoon, again, we have a connection to him. There's that little extra enjoyment where we can go, hey, that's that guy that's been on, you know, he's had maybe a minute of screen time in the cartoons, but, you know, that's him. And for people who are seeing the movie for the first time, it doesn't matter to them because all these characters are new to them. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I understand why they retconned him in to the history there, but I, I really wish they just would have spent... They just would have spent a little effort and actually added him into the cartoons leading up to this movie. Yeah, it would have given it a lot more depth. Mm. Um, but hang yeah. on, I got, I got one more character I want to bring up. Okay, yeah. you remember the scene where Bruce goes after the bikers? There's the guys mm -hmm. that are taunting the... Uh, he's like, what is, what is that guy doing? He's just randomly sitting in the middle of the street with a card table selling jewelry? Yeah, it's kind of like one of those guys you'd see on a New York City street just, you know, selling fake Rolexes or something like okay. that. Okay, well... That's what it looked to me. Okay, well, he's getting harassed, he's about to get mugged, and one of the bikers, I swear, has the same face as someone who would go on to be a mobster in an episode of Batman the Animated Series. But I can't remember the episode, and I can't even remember the guy's name. It's not an episode we've already it is. reviewed. I'm it almost is positive reviewed. it is. There's the the biker, he's the one that gives Bruce the most trouble. I think he's remember there's the scene where Bruce uh does like a flying kick and knocks a guy off the motorcycle? Oh yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's that guy. He's kind of got graying hair. You know, he looks a little uh he he's very distinct. It's sort of like remember how we mentioned that the jazz man 
had that had a very distinct, unique look. Yeah, that's the same thing with this guy. And again, I'm wondering if they're they're giving him this little pass that we would pick up on, but no one—it's not going to matter to anybody else. I could be way off, <clears throat> but I don't Do think, think I am. I'm think was it the one of those guys in the episode with uh, Leslie Tompkins where the the painting the crime doctor was that it? No, 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 because he would go on to be, I think, a my boss. Not just like a random well, that thug. I, I mean, it's not Stromwell, it's not Thorne, and I really would have loved it if the mob bosses that got killed in this movie were Stromwell and Thorne, instead of introducing new people. Well, Thorne was in a picture. Was he? What was Thorne? You didn't see him in the... He was in the picture of Andrea's father in The Joker in Velestra. Thorne was there? He, yeah, Where? he was on the very left. He was on the very left. Are you sure it wasn't the fat guy who got squished by the statue? Because he maybe sort of looked well, maybe, like Thorne. You know what, maybe it was, but the thing is, his, the guy who got squished by the statue was a black guy, wasn't no, he? No, he was white. I, oh, man, I could have sworn he was black. No, but, I mean, James, uh, it's, James, it, it's it really, the Italian mob. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, yeah, I see it. I feel stupid, but still, the thing is, that guy really, really looked like Rupert Thorne. If you go back and look at the picture okay. that comes, it, it crops up all over the movie. You know the, mm-hmm. the, that famous picture. It tell me that doesn't look like Rupert Thorne. No, no, no. I, I agree with you in that regard because when he first got out of the car when he was heading towards the cemetery when he was going to visit Chucky's grave, I thought it was Thorne, like a redesigned Thorne, I should say. But then, if I remember correctly, he took off his hat and he was bald. He had, right. you know, he had kind of that. Uh, you know, he had that ring of hair around the sides, but he was bald mm-hmm. on top. So I'm like, okay, that's not Thorne, because Thorne's got a full head of white hair. And uh, so I think that's who was probably in that picture. You're, yeah, you're probably right. I just, I thought it was Thorne on the onset, just because, the you know, the, the jowls and everything. No, no, no. I mean, like I said, I agree that it looks like him, but I just wish they would have used Thorne or Stromwell or both or some other mobster that we had seen before instead of, again, introducing these three new guys. Um, I, I can't explain why they did that. The only guess I could take is that they didn't want it to have lasting repercussions on the show. Like, maybe they knew they had episodes coming up that were going to feature Thorne and they didn't feel like rewriting them and well, reanimating this, them. I don't know. This movie was originally going to be the finale of the entire series. Really? Yeah. So, that's that's probably why... I don't know. Maybe they... That's that actually would lend itself to actually yeah killing off one of the major guys that we've seen. Yeah, but uh, maybe I guess when they decided to put it right between the two seasons, that's when like eh, no, we can't do that. Yeah, huh? That would have been so. a terribly short-lived television show if this was going to be the ending of it all. Wow. Yeah. Huh. But whatever. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm um, still trying to remember who I think that biker is. I'm gonna have to go back and see if I can. Uh, I'm not gonna watch all the episodes we've covered to date. My God, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> but if I, I just, I just gotta, I gotta remember so I can m- maybe mention it in the uh, next episode that we do here. Uh, well, you know, speaking of Valestra and all these guys, there's another thing that another thing that they didn't have not done, or had not done on the show up to this point. That's have guys smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. and cigars. Yeah. So, you know, just, you know, another thing they can get away with on a movie, on a big screen, but not on a TV show. Yeah, and it gives it a little more realism. You yes, know? it does. I, I understand that they can't have these guys cursing as, you know, people of this lifestyle would, 
Um, you know, so I can overlook that. But yeah, allowing them, especially someone that like the Joker, who's just as iconic as Batman, allowing him to have a cigarette actually in his mouth, again, it brings these characters to life. It, it shows you that they're just not watered down, you know, kind of cliche cartoon, cartoon character mobsters. It's like, no, these are guys with vices and they are killers, you know, and they're, they're, they're hardcore through and through. So, yeah, again, i got to say it, I appreciated that. Yeah. Though, to be fair, to be fair, Scarface smokes. <laughs> <laughs> he has the screw-in yeah. cigarette, though. Yeah. It goes right into his tooth. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Now, Man, that's funny, yeah. what did you feel about the scene with Bruce pleading at the Wayne Monument? It was creepy. Yeah. Wow, that was creepy. And I, I had that note somewhere on here. I just, I couldn't remember it. But yeah, God, it's like, wow, this guy is insane. I mean, there is no better illustration of how insane. Bruce Wayne is than that right there. I mean, I, I mean, you feel bad for Bruce naturally. I mean, you know, he's Bruce Wayne. He's got all this money, but he lost his parents at such a long age, and he's a tormented soul. So, you know, there's always that. You always have that in the back of your head. But watching him just beg them, he's begging them to allow him out of his promise so he can marry Andrea and live a normal, happy life, something he never thought he'd have is so sad, yet sick at the same time. Oh, yeah, sick. That's probably the best word you can use to describe it. I mean, I, I almost had to turn away. I, I'm not even joking. I almost had to pause it and get up and get, like, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something just to take a break from it because it was so hard to watch. I just needed to yeah. step away from it. But I'm like, okay, I'm just going to trudge through this because I just I just have to. It's like, thank heavens, Andreas showed up. Mm-hmm. At, at afterwards, and she brought the brought him back to a, a modicum of sanity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but yes, I'm trying to remember the dialogue. It's just we can't do it justice by just explaining it. You have to see it. No matter how hard he tries with Andrea, there's no pulling him back from that edge. There, there's, there's none at all. He is going to be Batman no matter what happens. But you know, it add, added a, a, it's a very powerful scene. Mm-hmm. It, and adds to the overall darkness of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I'm glad it was there. It, it's, you know, as sick a scene as it was, it was sick in a good way. I was in a cinematically good. Yeah, way. It's, it's a very cinematic scene. It lets you into the character's head in no way we've ever really seen it before. I mean, I don't mean to continue to gripe on the Tim Burton film. Yes, I do actually. But <laughs> you know, I I never felt like we really got into Bruce's head all that much. I mean. We see him sitting at the computer, looking over at the news clippings, laying flowers down in Crime Alley. Boo-fucking-who. But here, we really see that Bruce is barely holding it together. That everything he does, you know, he's doing out of compulsion because he's obsessed with this promise that he made his parents, that he's obsessed with cleaning up Gotham. But he's really to use the Joker's phrase, one bad day away from snapping. He really is. And he's already had a bad day, so it's not going to take much to push him over the edge here. Yeah, There is so much characterization in there, and you have to give 
so much love to Kevin Conroy for pulling that scene off. Absolutely. It's, and it's hard to pull off a monologue like that where you're you're supposed to be talking to somebody, but you're not getting a reply. Mm-hmm. So it was, God, it was great. Because his pain is just, it's painted right there on the screen because, as you just said, he's he's not going to get a reply. You know, he, he's delivering it as if there should be a reply, but he's not going to get one. And that's where the tragedy comes in. Because it, it's it's like pleading to God. Oh, God, give me a sign that I should do this or that I shouldn't do that. I'm sorry, you're not going to get a sign. You're just not. And that's exactly what's happening here. He, oh, it's, it's so tragic. It, but it, it gives and, you so much insight into Bruce's psyche. And it, it's not far after that that we see Bruce putting on the mask for the first time. Yeah, I mean... In front of Alfred. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little while later because between this and that, we get Bruce... Obviously, he's decided that he's going to give up his promise. He proposes, and I love the humorous proposal to Andrea. He's like, I'm not good at this. What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> You'll get the idea. Yeah. And, of course, you know, she embraces him. She says, yes, it's this tearful moment. And there's this really cool scene where they're hugging, and up come, like, thousands of bats from this, you know, a cave. I mean, they're on his property, obviously, and there's this, yeah. there's this crack in the ground, and all the bats come out, and I thought that that was a really cool uh, storytelling moment where they showed you Bruce's fate versus temptation. Yes. You know, it, it's, you know he's, he, he knows what his fate is. He knows he can't turn away from that, but here's the temptation. Here's this woman that could pull him away but it's ultimately going to fail. And, again, it just gives so much to the character. Yeah, and it goes back to him making the choice of happiness over the mission, or vice versa, and he does it twice in the same movie Well, with the same woman, well, basically. Furthermore, I mean, his choice is forced upon him. He proposes he was going to give it up. He looked fate in the face, and he continued to embrace her, continued to say let's go talk to your father and announce the good news. But she says, no, 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 no. Let me break it to daddy myself or something along those lines. No, well, what happens is she, they see the, the, right, they see the th- shadowy figures inside their ha- inside her right, house. Right, and then I think she says, we'll do it tomorrow, right? Yeah, Bruce is like, maybe we should wait till tomorrow. Right. And, and she's like, yeah. And then the next day, he gets, you know, Alfred solemnly brings the ring and the note in saying that she has to call it off, we're too young, blah, 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 blah. And... So right there, the choice was made for him. Again, fate stepping in, taking away everything that could have made him someone else and not this dark vigilante and just guiding his life towards where it's supposed to be. And it's then that we see him in the cave putting on the costume and ultimately the mask. And what I thought was really cool is that we don't see him. He puts the mask on and he walks away, but we don't get to see that kind of retro design there. And he scares the bejesus out of him. Yeah, that's Alfred stepping back, going, <gasps> just gasping, I thought was my stunning. My God. Yeah. yeah, he says, my that's God. It, right, yeah, it was my God. That was that was such a cool moment. It, it's such a tragic moment, too. Because just for a second yeah. there, Bruce holds the mask in his hand and staring at it. You know, there's that last... He doesn't even turn around and say anything. He puts his hand out. He, said, he doesn't say, bring me the mask or anything. He just stands there, holds his his right arm out. Yeah, I mean, I almost imagine 
Bruce crying in that scene. I like the fact that it's ambiguous, that they don't show his face, you can't see his eyes. I think they do show one bat eye, don't they? Oh, they show both the oh, eyes. Oh, do they? And, they? and they, and they, you know, they, you know, grimace and you know make the whole the ang the furious look, which you know it it, it could be crying and anger at the exact same time, right. which is very very right. Likely. So what I was what I was getting at is I like the fact that they don't show Bruce's face before he puts it on because oh no no I, 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 I really imagine that there's tears coming out of his eyes because there's no turning back once he puts that mask on and ultimately he does put it on because he that's what life has handed him. He just has to do it. Which I, you know, and I kind of find this ironic because in a previous episode he he yells, "I don't believe in fate." Yeah. Uh, that was uh, riddle of the the riddle of the Minotaur episode. Right, but clearly here he has a fate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe the angels need a sharp sword and all that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay, to lighten all this up, I have I have a Joker quote. I just have to throw out there. By all means. Mi casa nostra es su casa nostra. <laughs> or however, how, however the line went. I mean, oh, when yeah. the Joker says that to, uh, oh shoot, what was his name? Salvalestra. Yeah. I was like, that is awesome. That is so clearly something the Joker would say to someone. A mobster at that. I mean, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, it's just one, another brilliant Mark Hamill performance. Mm-hmm. Um among many, and I'm trying to think what happens. He's a he has so many great lines when he's talking to Sal. He's like, "What do you think I am? Pest control?" And he's like, "Tell me what's on your so-called mind." That was that that was one of my favorite lines in the movie, right? Yeah, there. <laughs> and when he, you know, they're at the the rundown World's Fair exhibit, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of cool seeing that again. I don't know if it was the same one from the Riddler episode. But no, that's it's the one from the begin from the flashback. No, no, no. And, what I'm saying the, is, remember in the Joker in the Riddler episode, they visit a World's Fair. Remember at mm, the end. Well, I don't know because this one it clearly says the future, and that, I don't believe there was ever any kind of wording in the Riddler episode of the you know the future of Gotham or whatever the, the exhibit was called. I don't okay, know. But you see what maybe I'm saying? Maybe it was. Maybe I mean, it was. We've got these. Otherwise, there were two World's Fairs in Gotham City, and both of them are still there and run down, you know? So (laughs) there's a part of me that thinks they're probably the same, but maybe redesigned a little for the movie. But regardless, when the Joker is putting uh, Sale into the uh, little uh, roller coaster car, he slams the bar down on the guy's crotch, and he says, watch the valuables. That is awesome. (laughs) And then, better yet, Joker then just sits down on the bar. (laughs) He's already put the bar down when he jumps into the car. He doesn't care. You know, he's he's got a death wish. We all know it. You know, and it's not like it's a crazy roller coaster or anything. It's just a little gentle ride. But I thought it was funny that he puts the bar down and then just sits on it. But yeah, it totally yeah. squishes the guy's crotch because he even reacts to it. He kind of stiffens up a little. Sale does. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> I, well, it's not the only crotch oh, God, gag they no. have in the movie. So. I mean, Andrea just busts him right in the nuts with her knee. Yeah, there, there's no. There's not going to be any little jays after that. Oof. <laughs> Uh, now, now, you brought up Andrea a second ago, and mm-hmm. how, what do you feel about her, quite easily, I might add, figuring out the identity, the secret? Thank you. I made a note about that, and I forgot all about it. Uh, yeah, how did she know that he was, ba- that he, he was Batman? 
she didn't see him looking at the grave. Well, okay, he... All she saw was him coming around the tombstone and looking at her, and then he runs away. Right. She was turned around the whole time. But I think, I mean, that's how she figures it out. I mean, Batman was standing by the Wayne tombstone, the Wayne monument there, and he sees her, and then he runs away. It's just that right there. So she's a smart gal, and she just put two and two together and thought, well, there's no reason for Batman to be stalking me, so therefore Batman must have been here at the graveyard. What was he looking at? Oh, the Wayne grave. Oh. Oh. I mean, that was what went through her head in the span of like two seconds. But I still felt... I don't know, I understand what they were doing there, but it happened a little too quickly, I thought. Yeah, it did. It, it something. I just felt like something should have been said, where maybe... Remember in the Zatanna episode, Bruce always... What does Bruce call Zatanna? Zana. Zana. And so she's able to figure out that Bruce, or that uh, Batman was John, or whatever he was calling himself back then. <laughs> John Smith. Right, I, I almost wish that they would have repeated that here, where he had a nickname for Andrea. And in one scene, I think her dad calls her Andy. Well, he does, too. Bruce does? Yeah, okay. he calls her it Andy also. cool if Bruce was the only person who called her Andy. And so when he sees her, he, like, says it because he's surprised, and he doesn't realize what he's saying. Bruce, like, mm-hmm. Batman just lost control for a second there and kind of reverted to old Bruce Wayne. And he says it, and she turns around. Batman, she sees him disappear. She looks at the grave. One plus one equals two. Then that would have worked a lot. Right. But as it is, I, I was annoyed by mm. it. Frankly, it just seemed, it was like, uh, what mm. you, because like I said, she was turned around the whole time. Batman says nothing. He's standing to the side, away from the grave. He's not behind it. He's clearly standing out in front of it. And then he runs away mm. back in the opposite direction. Yeah. And then she just figures it out. How does she know that she that, you know, Batman was looking at the Wayne grave? She doesn't because she was turned around the whole time. So that's it, it kind of annoyed yeah. me. And then while we're on the topic of her, now she knows the secret. I mean, she gives him a couple of verbal barbs, you know. But mm-hmm. what I have to wonder is, why is she so mad at Batman, at Bruce? She left him under duress, but she left him, but she's mad at Bruce. When he comes to uh. see her at the apartment... He is like, she is just ripping into him. There is so much attitude, you would think that Bruce left her at the altar. But that's not what happened. She ran off to Europe, away from him, until he learns the truth. Without an explanation. Right, until he learns the truth, he thinks that she just ran away from him because they were too young, or whatever. There was nothing at all. So he should be mad at her. But he seems rather forgiving of her, but in that one scene, like I said, she's all like, well, you know something about parental issues or something like that. I think is what she says. She's like, the only person who's controlled by their parents in this room is you. Right. That right there. It's like, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you yelling at him? I I just (laughs) didn't quite get that. I don't know. Yeah. What else? Um, Let's see. The... The Councilman Reeves, boy, he sure does want to get into her oh pants. Oh, my God. Good God. It's not, even, it's not even remotely subtle. It's every scene he says some kind of lame pickup <laughs> line or something 
trying to get into her apartment. In that regard, I do like the juxtaposition between him and Bruce. Bruce just has to, you know, kick her down to the ground, and he's in her panties. <laughs> this guy, no matter how hard he tries, can barely get a kiss. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I sort of like that, you know. But, you know, and speaking of Reeves, the scene where Joker appears in his office is so cool. Mm-hmm. I love that scene so much. Just, you know, Joker appears in the hat with the the cane, and <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, go alert the media. That would be kind of fun for them to see uh, Kelsman Reeves and his wacky yeah. pal. Did the Joker have his cane with him? Yeah, he had a cane. Oh, shoot, I somehow missed that. The purple hat and the cane. Oh. Yep. It was it was great. The whole That whole scene was great, and it was, again, all Mark Hamill's mm-hmm. doing. And it, I, One of my favorite lines in the entire movie is when He's like, I'm. When Reeves is demanding that he know to know why he's in his office, and he's and he says, because I want to know, find out who's whacking the old guys. And he's like, haven't you read the papers? It's Batman. He's like, and he takes his joy buzzer out. And goes, eh, wrong. I've seen the guy. He looks more like the ghost of Christmas future. Uh, I just love that line. Oh, now, is that that's the scene where the Joker then? essentially kills Reeves, right? Basically, yeah. He gasses him, and the next scene we find it... it, it the scenes trans, uh, transition with laughter, and it, it goes from Joker's laughter to Reeves' hysterical laughter in the hospital, mm-hmm. which was really cool, too. Now, when they show the Joker attacking him, at first, because they show it in shadow, they show it, the shadow's cast it on the wall, at first I mm-hmm. thought he stabbed him in the stomach with that knife he had. No. But then... They go to the hospital, and I'm like, "Oh, he gassed him." But I, I don't know. I maybe I wasn't quite paying enough attention in that one moment. But I really okay, thought rem- he stuck him like a pig. Well, remember where, when he throws him onto the desk? The letter opener is stabbed in the desk, and he throws his, throws Reeves onto the desk. The letter opener, which was stabbed into the desk, flies off into the back. Oh, see, I one, I didn't realize it was a letter opener. I thought it was a knife. Two, I must have missed him putting it into the desk. So I, I obviously then didn't see it go flying away. I uh, yeah, it okay. Did, all I saw was him get thrown to the desk, cut to shadow, and I thought I saw the Joker make a motion towards his stomach, but I, I must have missed it. So okay. Now, yeah. speaking of that, is this the first time we've ever seen the Joker officially kill someone? Uh. I believe so, because uh, Velestra's rotting corpse is found in his home. Right, because we get, we get Sales, corpse, we get Reeves, ends up in the hospital and presumably dies. Mm-hmm. Um, we get something oh, much more later on, which we'll get to in a little bit. But in the animated series, the Joker's gassed people, but Batman's always cured them, hasn't he? I think so, yeah. Okay, I wanted to make sure that this is the first time that... I understand this is the first time we've actually seen, you know... Verifiable. Right, but I I couldn't remember if there was anything that could be played kind of loose. You know, because... What about the the one we get a lot of flack for? Um, The Laughing Fish? Yeah, did anybody die in that one? They get gassed. Uh... I don't remember if they got cured, but... The worst thing that came, that would have happened to them is then they're stuck in that disfigured state. No, he he cured the guy that was that Joker was after the who got perfumed and gassed. Okay, he was he was cured. Okay, uh, so I don't think there was anybody that we can definitely verify was killed before this. Okay, but speaking of Valestra 
wow, the rotting corpse and then the entire house being blown up from the corpse. Wow. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I had forgotten all about that scene until we just started talking about people dying. And I was like, oh, yeah, the guy's rotting corpse is in his, his, his chair. <laughs> there was an issue of Daredevil real recently where they did something very similar. Uh, Daredevil's trying to track... Uh, criminal who, oddly enough, looks just like the Phantasm. Um, but if you want the truth, the character he's chasing uh, is actually predates the, this movie by decades. So if anybody was ripping anybody off, it's actually you know the DCAU guys ripping off Daredevil. Well, it doesn't take a lot to make a Grim Reaper. Outfit, That's true. So. That's right. But I mean, there's the whole with the Phantasm. There's that whole smoke motif. With mm-hmm. the character I'm talking about in Daredevil, and I can't remember his name, there's a gas motif, in, uh, like a hallucinogenic scarecrow-like gas. So both of them have, so, have some sort of gas going on, too. Um, but regardless, there's a scene where Daredevil's looking for this guy. He tracks him down to what he thinks is his apartment, and he looks in there, and he sees someone sitting in a chair strapped there, and then the whole thing just blows up. And that guy was still alive when the bomb went off, and obviously Sal wasn't. But the 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 villain and the general uh, kind of you know thing that was going on there just reminded me of that recent Daredevil comic. So I don't know. I'm not claiming the Daredevil people yeah. were ripping off this movie because I'm sure we've seen that in other media before, where someone's sitting in a house and it gets the whole thing gets blown up because it was oh, all yeah. a trap for someone else. I'm just saying when you put it all together, the villain, the bomb. The, the guy's strapped to the chair, you, you just have to draw the parallels there. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and Joker, yeah, when when Andrea finally shows up at uh, at the World's Fair there to take to kill Joker, he, he throws absolutely everything he can at her, uh, like a roll of bologna, uh, <laughs> egg beater, <laughs> just, oh man, just great stuff from the Joker there in that fight scene where he gets... You know, kicked in the little jays. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm trying to think. Before that, though, we get one more, f- one last flashback with uh, Joker is actually the one that killed her father. Oh my God! This is what I was referencing a few minutes ago when I said we'd speak about one more of the Joker's kills. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about that scene, please. Oh wow. Uh, let's see. Andrea is standing at this point. Andrea in the present is standing at the World's Fair, the rundown place, just getting ready to make her final kill. And she thinks back, she's dressed up only, she doesn't have the phantasm hood on yet, but we she's should dressed know, up in the black. Okay, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we should know why she's <laughs> killing all these people as the phantasm. We haven't said that. The oh, people, wow, you're right, we haven't even right, mentioned right. that We're yet. assuming that everybody who's listening to this has seen this movie, and there's a good chance that that's not the case. You know, we, There's a very good chance that people who are listening to this have only seen Batman Beyond, or have only seen the Justice League, but they're listening to our thoughts about everything that came before that. So, yeah, definitely ex- please explain what's going on here, what her plan is, why she's doing it, all of that. Oh, yeah. Well, as, you, as we mentioned earlier, Andrea runs off to Europe. Well, there was a reason for it. She, she and her father were going to be killed by these mobsters led by Sal Valestra. And, you know, uh, her father, Carl, just gets buys them 24 hours by saying, look, I'll, I'll wire you every cent I have from the European banks, and it'll be, on, be here at this time tomorrow. And, of course, it's a lie, and he, he basically just bought them time enough for them to flee the country. So they do that, and then 
they Andrea explains to Bruce later on that he parlayed the money into like this vast fortune in Europe, and so eventually he actually does pay the thugs back, and he comes back to Gotham thinking, oh well, everything's going to be peachy. Well, no, they kill him anyway, and Andrea comes back. I don't back. think they were in Gotham, weren't they? I thought they were still in well, Europe. Were they in Europe when he was killed? I thought so, because I didn't think that was their home. I thought it looked, I don't know, where they were staying looked kind of European to me. I don't know. I thought it looked it looked the same to okay. me. Maybe, maybe well, I'm no, wrong. We'll just, we'll just any, have to disagree on that one. But Okay. But in any case, it's, it's, bas- it's clear that the Joker, before he was the Joker, uh, murdered her father as retribution for him skipping out on, on the money that he owed the mob. And Andrea... Walks, she you know she just come back from buying groceries or something. She as, as she's opening the door, the Joker you know, walks out the door without saying a word, and she's like, ah! and she, obviously she's scared shitless there. And she walks in. We don't see the body or anything. We just she walks in, and there's like a, about five seconds, and then all of a sudden you hear this blood curdling scream as she finds her father's dead body, as Joker just kind of. Well, away. he grabs an apple, munches it, apple and then too. walks away. <laughs> just showing yeah. you how cold the Joker has always been. It's not just in the here and now that he's a heartless killer. Even back then, he was ruthless. Absolutely oh, yeah. ruthless. He does not value human life at no. all. No, and I thought that was... Uh, a nice yeah, touch. Really very was. much so. And it really puts the exclamation point on why... Andrea is doing this. You know, she's hunting down all these mobsters because they're the ones that screwed over her dad and her last target is the Joker because he's the one that actually did it. Now the question is, how did she figure out that that guy was the Joker? That's true. I mean, Batman can't even figure that out and this girl did? Yeah, it's never explained, is it? No, it's never. I don't think... I'm trying to rack my brain. Let me think, think, think. No. Unless she uh, unless she had a red pencil and drew <laughs> a smiley face over the picture. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, something to explain how she knew that was the same guy would have been nice. Yeah. I mean, it was still a really just heart-wrenching scene, but yeah, you're right. It, it, it You know, the fact that she... We were never given an explanation as to how she knows it's the Joker. Kind of, sort of takes away from it a little. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, and I'm completely making this up to make an excuse for this otherwise wonderful movie, is that maybe, maybe, when he was the nameless mobster, his nickname was the Joker. And knowing this, knowing his general facial features, his very distinct facial features, I might add, Again, like she did with Bruce, she's smart enough to put two and two together. This man who used to be called the Joker, who looked like this with Caucasian skin, is the Joker who's the clown prince of crime with the same facial features, just with, you know, bleached out skin. Therefore, they're one and the same. But I'm completely making that up to just, you know, make an excuse. (laughs) I mean, hey, if she can figure out who Bruce Wayne is, who Batman is, that easily... She's either super smart or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's two times in, in the same movie. <laughs> but regardless, it really is just uh, an amazing scene. And there's there's not much to it. In the flashback, it really, it, there's really not much to it. She, she comes home. She 
you know, she sees the guy. She's the only one that speaks in the scene, obviously, because her father is dead and Joker doesn't talk, so... And she doesn't even speak, she just screams. That's it. There's no dialogue she, at all. Well, she... Yeah, yeah, well, she says... She gaffs and she said, but, but, he paid you. Oh, that's you. right, I forgot about that, pardon me. You are right, yes. Which, you know, it's like, that sells sells it there until we get the blood-curdling yeah. scream. And so, that was another great job by Dana Delaney. Yeah. It, was just, it was just another one of those monologues, really, where only one person is talking and you're not going to get a reply, because Joker's not going to talk. So it was, it was another really just powerful scene. And I have to wonder why the producers made the decision to not have the pre-Joker Joker talk in the flashbacks. Why they didn't have Mark Hamill tone it down a little, take the Joker voice, but just bring it down a notch, not have it be as flamboyant, <coughs> and just give him a couple of lines. I wonder what the decision, why that decision was made. I think it was because they don't, Remember, they don't overtly reveal that it's the Joker until Bruce draws the smiley face on the guy. I think they were trying to keep it kind of mysterious as to, wait, who is this guy? That's true. Okay. I'll, I'll buy that. Sure, sure, sure. That, that sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. oh, so now man. you were saying she goes to the World's Fair, because we stopped, we paused yeah. to explain why she was doing all this, so why don't you pick up yeah, that was her, that. Yeah, and I believe that was the final flashback. From then on, it's just the she goes in as the Phantasm, and Joker has already figured out that she is the Phantasm awesome. based on. Yeah. What What does he say based, to her? He says, uh, "I gotta hand it to you, lady. You're harder to kill than a cockroach on steroids." Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then she's like, "So you figured it out, or something like that?" And yeah, uh-huh. just cool. Each of them are cool, calm, and collected. Nobody, you know, neither one of them is really surprised. Mm-hmm. So. Which is fine. I mean, it 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 was probably necessary with the way their characters were, because she like as Alfred says later, she she fell into that abyss a long time ago, and not even you, meaning Bruce, could bring her out of it. So it was, and it was it was a great scene, really, because we you know we see another thing that they couldn't get away with on the show, and that's a man hitting a woman yeah. repeatedly mm-hmm. um, with his meat. <laughs> you just had to make that I'm joke, sorry, didn't you? I'm sorry, I had to. It's like every time oh, when I say well. Bruce loves dick, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. oh, well. But, you know, I'm trying to think what happens, what really just I love most about the scene, but I can't because it's such an all-around great ending mm-hmm. sequence. The last 15 minutes... It's it's basically one nonstop action scene, but and, and except for that one little part where Batman saves her from the gigantic fan and he tells her to just leave, please, mm. pleading with her to go away so he can do his job. Yeah, and, so, she just that, and that was another that was another really sad moment there. Yeah, because it's again him giving up. He knows he's too far gone. She's too far gone at this point. He knows that mm-hmm. he can't save her, but this is like the one time he's willing to to like look the other way. Yeah, because she's murdered people yeah. and that goes against the code. But because they have that past, he's willing to let it slide. You know, and she, of course she just kind of fades away into her mist. So. I don't. I don't. And honestly, I didn't like that. After, uh, that one moment there, where she fades into the mist, and it just seemed unnecessary to what? me. What? Well, I mean, it, it just seemed like, like Joker said earlier, theatrical, f- for the sake of being theatrical. It, 
I don't. I think if she had just walked away really, you know, slowly, then kind of turned her back and looked over her shoulder, and you know, he's not there anymore, like he he so often does. That I think that's probably what they should have done. But that that that's just me. You know, I, I like her disappearing into the mist because it shows that she's not going to give up. If she walks away, then she's Andrea again, or Andrea. Pardon me. That's then she's gone back to that. But because she disappears into the mist, she's still the phantasm, and that proves Alfred's point. Right? She went. She fell into the abyss and could not pull herself out. She crossed the line that even Bruce can't cross, that being murder, and there was nothing that was going to stop her. So I think her stepping backwards into her, you know, enveloping cloud shows that. It illustrates it quite well, I felt. That's true. I like your visual, her turning back, seeing he's not there, maybe he's still there for the first time ever, he's still hanging around, I don't, you know, whatever. I like that visual, but I prefer the characterization of her backing into the smoke, and, you know, we know this isn't over. Yeah. Because <laughs> it leads into, after that, we get to see uber violence mm-hmm. <laughs> with Batman kicking Joker's tooth out. Oh my god, yeah, did he... He punches him in the jaw, or did, did he legit I kick thought, him? I th- I'm, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure he kicks okay. his tooth, kicks him in the face and knocks yeah, the, the tooth, tooth out with blood just spurting. just flying across the screen. And then the Joker makes his typical smile, but it looks like Mick Foley's smile, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just with the missing tooth, and I was like, oh, I love the Joker. <laughs> Even uh, when he's not yeah. speaking, when he's just sitting there smiling, it's, it's just perfect the way they did him here. Because after after he kicks him and knocks his tooth out, Batman goes Joker, and then Joker just smiles, wipes the blood off of his mouth, <laughs> and then just pulls out yet another remote control and activates something else with the little heli- little helicopters coming and slicing Batman's arm. Oh man, it was just ooh, it was great. Man, I'm tr- uh, let's see what happens. What happens after that? Uh, pretty much. It, as you said, it's just one big action sequence. Batman's chasing the Joker. I don't quite remember how Andrea slash the Phantasm gets involved again. What? Well, Joker. Remember, Joker had that rocket thing that he tried to get away with because the, oh, the whole the whole place yeah. is whole place is wired to explode. There's 20 miles of tunnels, and Joker's wired all of it oh, to oh, explode. <laughs> and he gets on this jetpack to get the hell out of there because in five minutes the whole place is going to go straight to hell. And then Batman. Somehow gets on, he like jumps up on top of him, and a great little sequence there occurs where Joker's like, "What are you doing? Are you, like, are you, uh, are you crazy? I'm your only chance out of here. Let go of me, or we'll both die." And then Batman's like, "Whatever it takes," <laughs> and they crash to the ground, and that's when Andrea reappears, yeah. and, and Joker's like, "Oh no!" He's like, "I yeah, gave I up. gave up. Didn't you hear me? <laughs> Tell her, bats." <laughs> And then, what did Batman say in response? Did he say anything, or did she? He said, "He said, you know, he said he tried to plead one more time with Andrea. What will, what will vengeance? Or not that he said that in the previous scene. What will vengeance solve? Or no, what? No, maybe he did say that here. Another thing about it. He says, "What would vengeance solve?" And then Andrea, Andrea, if anybody would know that, the answer to that question would be you. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was in the first scene, the the previous scene where they they part ways, or if it was. In but this yeah, scene. that line of dialogue is there, and it's a good one too. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it makes him, you know, look into the mirror, you know, and realize he may not kill, but he still is going after vengeance. 
Yeah. So, I mean, my feelings about Batman are this. Sometimes in the DC universe, they claim that the person who killed Bruce's parents has been caught. Sometimes they claim he hasn't been caught. It changes all the time. Mm-hmm. If the guy was caught, Batman would no longer need to exist because I feel that Batman goes out there busting these crooks because he knows that if he busts enough crooks, eventually he's going to coincidentally catch the guy who killed his parents. So every criminal, no matter how young or old, could be the murderer who took his parents away from him. The second that guy's in jail, you see what I'm saying? He no longer has to continue. So it's vengeance for him. Is he killing? No, but it's still vengeance. He's looking for justice. So, yeah, he very much had to take a long, hard look in the mirror when that was said to him. Be it earlier, be it here, in this scene, it doesn't matter. It's, she's right. Yeah, and then, of course, the whole place blows up, and, you know, and Andrea and Joker disappear, and I can't, does Joker make any more appearances until Gotham Knights, Um, after this happens? I honestly don't know. I don't have the list of episodes up. Right now, um, so I can't say. I don't think he does. I think they 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 make you assume that he's dead, and then he reappears in Gotham Knights. Can you quickly go to Wiki or somewhere and pull up the list of Batman the Animated Series episodes, and we'll go through them one by one and try to see if the Joker's in them because he's used so much. In, you know, the first half of Batman the Animated Series, I find it Mm -hmm. surprising that they wouldn't use him from this point on, because Harley keeps appearing. And if Harley's there, the Joker can't be that far behind. You know? Yeah, I'm looking. So, Uh, okay, what are the episodes after... No, you're. Oh, he does, in Harlequinade. Yeah, so, it would have been nice Hmm. if they could have referenced how he survived, again, bringing the movie, you know, making the movie important, making it matter in relation to the cartoon. You know, again, they could have introduced Reeves early, earlier, I should say, and they could have taken elements from this, i.e. the Joker's death and apparent survival, a part of the show, too. You know, just... I just, I wish there was a, was there ever an explanation as to how Joker survived? Because we know that Andrea survived because she's on the ship as the movie uh, is about to right. end. Right, there, there's none. I, the only, because you, it's left hanging, did she kill him? And it's not mentioned in Batman the Animated Series, and it's not mentioned here. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that she teleported them away or whatever she was doing, because it's never quite explained how she's doing that trickery. And we know that smoke's mm-hmm. coming from her, her palms. We know that, but we don't know how she's teleporting or whatever. But I, I, I just have to assume that she ported them away and, I don't know, maybe she roughed up the Joker a little and decided, you know what, if she kills him, I don't know, she's never going to be, like, that's not going to satisfy her, so she lets him go, or maybe the Joker used one of his typical Joker tricks and got away. Well, then, you you think about it, go all the way down the line to epilogue, where... Waller, Amanda Waller, enlists her to kill Terry McGinnis's parents, and she's and she stops, and she doesn't right. do it. And then she explains, you know, she doesn't speak in the episode, but it's, 
Waller says that she says that Batman would never resort to killing, yeah. so maybe she just didn't didn't kill yeah. him. What out? Maybe she got, took him where she went, roughed him up real bad, you know, and realized exactly what you said. Batman wouldn't kill. This isn't what he. This isn't what he would have wanted, and just maybe she left it, not let him go, but left him chained up for the police to find, delivered him to Arkham, dropped him off at the police station. You know, she. You know, something. But I'm not... There are certain times where I like, you know, things being open-ended. This goes back to what we said about when Bruce was putting the mask on. They didn't show Bruce's face, and I appreciate that. Because it makes me think that he was crying. Other people might say, no, 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 that's not what he was doing. That incites discussion, you know. But when it's something this big, you know, the fate of the Joker, there should have been something. There definitely should have been something. Him getting away, her dropping him off, just, yeah. Yeah. To just have her on a, on a cruise ship, at, you know, which was a, you know, it was a really sad moment. I, I love the, the, you know, the cruise ship moment. Yeah, and it's a powerful Just ending. to have her, th- yeah, it, oh, God, Because yes. we got her saying, and, I'm, a, what did she say, I'm alone? Uh, you know, the, the, the guy comes up to her and says, Beautiful, beautiful view, or whatever he says, and she says yes, and he says, "I'm sorry, do you want to be alone?" And she just says, "I am." Right, and then she says that, and then we cut to Bruce, Batman, on the side of a building, also alone, looking at the bat signal. I mean, that's a very powerful ending, very cinematic. But and I love the animation there on that last mm-hmm. scene was fantastic. It might be the best bit of animation throughout the whole movie. It really yeah. might be. But, yeah, just to have her pop up on that cruise ship seems a little odd. I don't know. Yeah. That that kind of... I, I don't know if it annoyed me, but it was just kind of weird. And did you think it was a little too convenient how Batman got away from the explosions? That's what I felt. <laughs> I mean, the bombs start going off, you know... Uh, a crack opens up below him, he falls into the sewer, and then is washed away out of drain pipe. And he's saved from all the 20 miles of blasting that's going on. And, you know, I saw that and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm glad they explained how Batman could get away when he was in such terrible shape, didn't have his bike, didn't have a jetpack, didn't have his car, anything. But it just seemed a little too convenient. Like, whoop, yeah, I did. fell into a hole and then I got washed out into Gotham Bay or Harbor or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was kind of just... I don't know, maybe it was rushed. Yeah, they were like, okay, how do we get Batman out of here? Um, he falls in a <laughs> hole. got the Joker. <laughs> Joker and Andre are gone. Well, they're safe, sort <laughs> <Yeah>. of. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I they did what they had, they they could do, I guess. It's not a great, not great, but hey, whatever. Right. I've seen more. We've seen oh, worse. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And we'll <laughs> see, and we'll see worse. <laughs> Oh, so. I guess I'm thinking the last question about this that I that I want to ask is, how did she get into the cave to leave the locket? Remember, he's in the cave. Alfred well, delivers the. She went into the abyss line, and they find the locket. Did was she mm-hmm. using whatever teleportation thing she had, or did she somehow figure out how to get in through the clock? Oh, remember earlier they were kissing, and the bats flew up through that crack. Maybe she, maybe that's where she put it. She just like dropped it through there or something. Very, there was a ladder there. 
Bruce did mm-hmm. it. Because he was because spe- Bruce was spelunking earlier that when, when the ring was returned yeah, to him. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll buy that. That's a very good explanation, I think. She remembered the crack, went down there, and left it. Okay, cool. Sounds good to me. <laughs> is there uh is there anything else you want to say about this overall? Any scenes we didn't cover? Anything at all? Um, I guess I would just say that Overall, it was just a phenomenal undertaking. Uh, I'm just, the only thing I'm, I'm kind of sad about it is it really didn't connect with the series in any way overall with continuity. It was just, you know, it was just there. Which, you know, it's fine in and of itself to have something like that because this was a fantastic movie. But I re- like we've, we've both said during this uh, recording here, it would have been nice to have a, a lot more continuity with the the series. And I think this is why we were wondering why the Demon's Quest wasn't made the movie. Remember, we both said the Demon's Quest should have been the movie because it does tie in to the rest of the universe after that point. Oh, yeah. And this just didn't. Not until epilogue do we get, are we reminded of the Phantasm. So, yeah, there should have been a connection. There absolutely should have been some sort of connection if this was going to matter you know, if this was going to play into the cartoon, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, you know, they had, of course they had, you know, basically the origin of the Batman persona, Mm -hmm. which is great. You know, that's, that's why I can, I can really excuse it because they did such a great job of the, the dichotomy of all the characters, especially Bruce. So that's, that's basically all I'm going to, I'll leave it at that. What about you? Yeah, I, I really don't have too much to, to add, I mean, I, I think that this was a wonderful look at Bruce Wayne, at his psyche. You know, it was much better than I remembered. Again, this was only the second time I saw it, and the first time I saw it, um, I, I don't remember if I liked it or not when I saw it, but over the years, I somehow came to the conclusion that I didn't like it. I'll, and I don't uh, know why. Not to, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I was going to say the exact same thing. It, when I first saw this in 93 or 94, whenever it came out, I didn't like it. You know, that was only, what I guess it would have been 11 years old, 12 years old back then. Uh, I didn't like it. I, I vividly remember that I didn't like it. I don't remember anything about the movie, but I just remembered, you know, I didn't really like it. And then I watched it again, and I was like, wow, this is an amazing movie. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to the fact that it's such a mature piece of work that little kids or preteens are, you know, they're going to enjoy the action. They're going to enjoy the intense police chase. They're going to get a kick out of the explosion and that whole ending sequence and some other events that take place uh, earlier on. But I really feel that this was Dini Radomski and his crew writing for adults here. Even though it had a PG rating, it is so mature that I'm, I, I really think that when we saw it as kids, we just couldn't enjoy it because it was so yeah. above and beyond anything we'd ever seen before, including, you know, the Batman the Animated Series, you know, weekly or daily program or whatever it was. Um, so, but now that we're seeing it as adults, you know, we're both, you know, getting close to 30 here. We're watching again. We've matured. We're appreciating it on the level that, they wanted us to appreciate it on. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and yeah, so I was quite shocked by how much I enjoyed this one. Yep. I I was pleasantly surprised because I I remember when I, I I've had the DVD for years. I, I bought it just because you know it was Batman the animated series, and I wanted everything that it had to do with it. And I bought it several years ago, and I didn't watch it until maybe three months ago. And I was just I was just amazed. At, I thought to myself, why did I not like this? <laughs> uh, but that I guess that's what it was. It was just when I was twelve, I couldn't appreciate it. So what do you want to rate this one? I think it's that time. Yeah, I guess so. Wow. You know, and I haven't even thought of a score, to tell you the truth, even going through all this. But I think, just thinking back about over all of it, I will give it a 9. I, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, after watching it, after taking uh, my notes, I didn't write a score down. I wanted to think about it. I wanted to go through our entire discussion and formulate a score when it came time to do that, meaning right now. And, you know, early on in the recording, I was starting to think I might give this a perfect score, a 10. But as we were going through, little nitpicks came up. And mm-hmm. on their own, they wouldn't have taken away a point. But when you start adding all the things together you have to pull just one point away and really give this a nine. But I, I, I think it's excellent. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to scream 10, 10, 10, but I think we complained about a few too many things to actually be able to do that. But all the praise in the world to Radomski and Dini and everybody who went, who put this movie together. It was just amazing. doesn't mean I don't care anymore. I don't want to let you down, honest, but but it just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? Look, I can give money to the city. They can hire more cops. Let someone else take the risk. It's different now. Please. I need it to be different now. But I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Please, tell me that it's okay. Maybe they already have. Maybe they sent me. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman the Animated Series, those being Sideshow, A Bullet for Bullock, Trial, Avatar, and House and Garden. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 